Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Good evening. Pre-recording this one, since Danny and I will be at Warriors Knicks as you listen to this, or maybe it'll be over because you're listening to it probably tomorrow. As it's released, I should say, man, I really am not good at intros. It's a good thing I don't have like a boss who tells me the way I have to start the show. But I think we could just get right into uh, our 1560 Eastern Conference mailbag with the Atlanta Hawks. The Hawks are 12 and 27, a strong 5 and 4 since the last 15 and 60, including a win on Sunday in an ugly, ugly game against the Miami Heat, but they won it. They have the 29th best net rating at negative 10, 29th offense, 27th defense, 538 projects them to win 24 games, which would actually put them 12th in the Eastern Conference, and they're not making the playoffs. Oh, man. what's? Uh, I guess we'll get to the rest of the East. <laughs> I mean, that, to think there's three teams worse than them is pretty remarkable. Although I, I thought they'd be the second worst team in basketball. I thought the Kings would be the worst. That was not correct. Um, So let's start here we're gonna try to be a little more strict and actually stick to the timer this time i always forget to set it on some of these uh we'll start here with uh mike savagno since playing 30 minutes for the first time kevin herter is averaging 12 points a game this is from last week these stats 39 percent from three on six attempts a game how has this stretch impacted how you think about his future long term i like herter i think that he has I mean, beyond the whole crazy turnover stat that you had on his pick and rolls and stuff, you know, I think some of those things will iron themselves out, but he's more capable with the ball in his hands than I expected. And, you know, his shooting is is legit. You know, I'm not sure if he's going to be like a, a like a high a mid 40s shooter or anything like that. But, you know, if he can be in the high 30s, maybe low 40s on a decent volume, that that is encouraging. I distinctly do not love him defensively so far. And that is a concern, but more of a concern if the Hawks become a whole lot better than they are right now. So I my instinct right now is that Herder's kind of on that starter hot capable reserve line, you know, like that's where he's going to he's going to get. But remember that positional scarcity at the two in particular is stark right now. I mean, there just there really isn't much going on there. So capability is extremely valuable. And that might be where Herder ends up. I, I'm not I don't have a, a firm feel on it yet. But even if that's where it is, that's a pretty good thing for the Hawks, considering where he was chosen. Yeah, and that's important to remember. Right? I mean, he and Trey Young were drafted together. This, oh yeah, we got our backcourt of the future now because we got this guy at the 19th pick. I, I mean, he's shown NBA skills. I mean, that's a, a good start for a guy with the 19th pick. And I, I said this during the, the Pacers game. 
that there's just not many guys in the league I would rather have shooting a wide open three-pointer than him even at this point in time he's got a very very smooth stroke I do wonder a little bit about the versatility of that jump shot his ability to get open coming off of screens because he is going to have defensive limitations he's got decent size but he doesn't seem like the toughest guy at this point in time maybe he can get stronger you know he wouldn't be the the first freshman to just get or first guy drafted after his freshman year to just get run over but I, I would like to see so much more for him defensively I'm just not sure that it's there he has, seems to have very stiff hips a lot of difficulty getting into a stance and moving his feet and not on a lateral quickness offensively either I think in a straight line he could be a solid athlete he's got surprising rise at the rim especially uh, off of two feet so he can uh, either rise up in the lane for floaters uh, or get all the way to the basket and, and make some acrobatic finishes I'm not sure again what the versatility of that is because he's not as good to me as a one-foot athlete as he is a, a two-foot athlete so the shooting potential is there some passing potential is there I'm not sure how shifty he is left to right off the dribble you know really I don't see him being very effective in isolation I don't see him despite his height being that strong he'll just go post guys up so I think the defense and then his ability to really not only make open three-pointers but to shoot on the move really have that JJ Redick type of gravity where teams now really have to account for you coming off of DHOs coming off of screens those are going to be the swing skills for him uh next one here Chris Guess asked do you think John Collins is deserving of all-star buzz I'm going to say no uh his defense the last few Hawks games that I have watched has been really bad they've been playing more at and I like that because just as an experiment and because they've been so bad offensively uh probably won't see that as much with Deadman and Len healthy now but I think they it's looked okay enough I have to go back and look at the numbers with him at center um maybe I can do that while you're talking but it's the defense has been really bad I mean as a help defender you know there's a bunch of times in that Pacers game for example where he's guarding Thad Young on the baseline of the dunker spot and guys go right to the rim and he just never moves you know he just does not have the help instinct and then when he's there you know, he's not the biggest wingspan guy so just I don't see him being a plus defender and of course at the big positions that's a problem so I I think and then shooting the ball he hasn't been that good either you know I think he's been below 30 percent on threes this year at least it was the last time I checked a little bit ago so uh yeah he is at actually just creeped over 30 percent 16 out of 53 so I'm not sure that he is even necessarily a starter on a good team to be honest I mean he's putting up the points and rebounds but I'm I'm not sure that I see it there because I think he's just going to be kind of one of these offense heavy backup centers you know the kind of Dallas five Dwight Powell type of role maybe but better than that offensively but on a good team and especially also if you got Trey Young and Kevin Herter on your team as well uh have playing him at either of the four or the five is just hard to see how you're gonna have a good defense unless he just makes massive improvements in his field and as we talked about with DeAndre Ayton that's not something that happens as often and I'm guessing where this is coming from is that Collins does have a really good PER for this year I mean he's at about 21 that is a 11th among what what ESPN counts as power forwards and that's pretty damn strong and Collins is exactly the type of guy that PER you know I'm, I'm not criticizing his stat it's just you know every stat has its strengths and weaknesses the type of guy that it overrates one because he's bad defensively and so that doesn't get covered PR is not meant to be necessarily an all-in-one stat it doesn't cover that and because Collins is a good rebounder and PER really likes guys as RPM does as well likes guys that are good rebounders and Collins you know he's not in the the ridiculous rarefied air of some of the absolute best in the league but he's he's very good for his position and so that really does help too but yeah the defensive limitations are there it's not really spacing the four enough so I, I I'm intrigued by Collins I'm not gonna say 
I like him as a starter. I'm, I'm kind of on board with you where he's going to maybe be on that borderline. But all-star consideration, when you think about like guys like Blake Griffin, who's having a great year, and Giannis, and, and there just aren't that many spots. Remember, there are only 12 guys on the all-star team. And if we're getting into the mix of like guys that are smaller pieces of teams, Pascal Siakam is having a way, way oh, better yeah. year than John Collins. Like there's no credible way. There's no credible way to put John Collins above guys like Siakam. And Siakam, you know, there's a chance he ends up making the team. But if you're not even close to those guys, to guys that are not going close to being a starter, then you're not going to make the all-star. Uh, all right, lightning round here. we got about two minutes left. Uh, Yopi, what's the most realistic or best team Jeremy Lin can get traded to? Uh, shout out to him. He's been uh, maybe the biggest Jeremy Lin stan uh, on my timeline, but a good guy uh, for uh, quite some time here. I recognize him. But uh, uh, who do you think, Danny? You, you, you took a look at this briefly. Well, so I think Lin makes the most sense going to a playoff caliber team just because there's more value added there. And the big question is going to be whether Atlanta is willing to take money back. That would really open up Miami as an interesting destination because he could fill in while Dragic is out, you know, play play him and then, you know, maybe with, but also separate from Justice Winslow. We'll talk about that later. New Orleans could really just use him even though they got Alfred Payton back. Memphis, now that Shelvin Mack is kind of buried in the rotation. But it's hard because Jeremy Lin is making enough money that this has to be a more complicated deal. And so those are the teams that I would be thinking about. Maybe you could even consider something with Philly if they're not enamored with TJ McConnell's fit with their other guys. But I don't think Philly's going to be in that mix. So I would lean more towards, you know, Miami, New Orleans, Memphis. And then if he gets bought out, there are a lot of teams that opens up because then the money part isn't a concern. By the way, quickly here, uh, John Collins at center, Hawks have a negative 13.4 net rating and only negative 6.6 with him. What's their defensive rating? Uh, It is 113.2. But the interesting thing is that they're still terrible on offense at 99.8. Uh, so it's actually interesting. Their offense, yeah, that's not their good. Offense is relatively worth worse uh, than the defense, but I think they might have been dragged down by some poor shooting. There, forty-seven uh, percent e field goal. Well, percentage. and some injuries. I mean, Torian Prince not being around and a few things like that. Too, yeah, so. that's true. I mean, they're so thin at power forward when they move their only decent offensive power forward to center, it, it can look pretty ugly. Um, all right, I think we are uh, sadly out of time here for the Atlanta Hawks. Um, oh, actually, no, there is one more I wanted to hit very briefly. How is Trey Young look getting? the basket asks toby detmar uh that's fallen off a bit uh, since early in the year i think he he's gotten a shot blocked so many times he was shooting a very nice percentage at the rim that's gone down i think the biggest thing he needs to improve is his left hand he, he's just not really comfortable shooting on the move with that left hand and he's got to get those like hook shots those flips with the left the way Steph Curry does uh he is even smaller than Curry is um to really start being effective there and going to his right he's more effective certainly uh but still you know is kind of more having a gnash out of the basket we haven't seen him uh, be as effective as the rim as early in the season so he's got a little bit of work to do there but finishing at the rim is one of the skills that most improves over a small player's career let's turn to the Boston Celtics oh yeah sorry no that's what I was gonna do so the Celtics are 24 and 15 six and four since the last 15 and 60 they are second in the league in net rating at plus 6.5 10th in offense strong third in defense and 538 projects them to win 54 games which would be third in the eastern conference and they're going to make the playoffs already you know that and the question I wanted to start with, and I, I'd be interested in your answer, I have one, of course, myself, is from Nate Wolf, will Boston continue to start Marcus Morris and Marcus Smart in the playoffs? Oh, that's a tough call. 
and they're playing pretty well right now um when they've had everyone healthy they've had a couple of nice blowout wins at, at home recently and i think they probably will you know I, i've made the point that with hayward with jalen brown that to me in theory is the, the best version of them but marcus morris is shooting it so well and he's probably actually a little bit lower usage than brown and hayward although we've kind of complained about his usage being a little too high but now that he's making everything that he puts up there you don't complain about that as much and then smart gives them a little bit more hard-nosed toughness he's brought his usage rate down as well Kyrie clearly uh, has been the most efficient offensive player so having those guys in the starting lineup allows them to bump up Kyrie's usage a little bit more uh, rather than giving more shots to Braun or Hayward and making it more egalitarian on that first unit and then they propped up the second unit uh, as well I mean Hayward obviously has been so inconsistent this year so I do think maybe we'll reach a point if they get down in a series where Marcus Smart isn't being guarded that they have to switch approaches a little bit but Kyrie the way he plays he's in some ways a little bit more immune from teams loading towards him uh, because he just fakes a guy out and and shoots a jumper in a situation like before anyone would necessarily be helping and and i don't think teams are going to just do the james harden like the nuggets on james harden last night just throw a double team at him uh, without a screen necessarily even being set so i don't know i mean they're uh my instinct is they're going to stick with it because it's been working and part of that has been the schedule looking a little bit better part of it has been brown who's also been playing a lot better recently and Hayward looking better in their roles I, I would want to try those guys maybe in the starting lineup but again because they are actually playing better now I mean like yeah they were playing like shit before that's why that didn't work as well with all those guys in the starting lineup maybe not necessarily that the concept itself was flawed and you can still go ahead and stagger I think it's more interesting who's going to close the game um certainly against Philly I like smart more because he's just maybe the best matchup in the league for JJ Redick and uh, Jalen Brown has usually struggled to chase him around a little bit so I uh, I'm not sure, but my instinct is they're probably going to stay the same. And then if they get down in a playoff series, maybe they'll switch it up. It's nice that they have options and we're about halfway through the season. So if if the season were to end today, I would absolutely say yes. And and there's plenty of reason, but the ebbs and flows will will maybe push it. I would say to to me, Jalen Brown is more interesting as a, as a starter than Hayward, just because I can see Hayward's role with the second unit a little bit more clearly. Brown has done well, obviously, but like I, 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 we've already seen Brown fit in, in the ecosystem that is somewhat oh, see, similar I, to what I disagree, is, actually. you know, going for last. I, I disagree because I think Hayward, the, the thing that they're missing on that first unit to me is passing. It's, you know, Smart's a solid passer, but uh, I, I think Hayward fits in better yeah, more yeah. as a playmaker. My thought, my thought is actually Jalen for Morris is the way that I'm yeah. thinking about this. But obviously Morris is playing way better than Jalen overall over the last, let's say, month and a half. So, you know, I, I'm fine with it either way. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I think you're right about closing lineups and it, it could be matchup dependent. Stevens is obviously done that in the past and yeah i agree with marcus smart should definitely play heavy minutes against the sixers because he can take reddick away and we've seen what happens to this it'll be different with jimmy now a little bit but we've seen what happens to the sixers offense when jj reddick is not a regular part of it it usually does flatline a little bit and smart I- i'm not sure he's gonna end up shooting 35 percent on threes for the rest of the season yeah. he's 51 if, to 47, if he keeps shooting like that if he shooting but like hey that, if he is great. yeah because i mean he's an awesome defender and and can fit in really well with what they're doing. Uh, a question that I wanted to get to, we don't have to spend a ton of time on it from Alex Giannetta asked what the Celtics could get for Terry Rozier. Rozier is in, 
I mean, he's in such a such a weird situation because this is his eight, this is not his age twenty five season, but he turns age twenty five during this season, and he's about to hit restricted free agency. So you're getting you know a, a pretty solid amount of him on that next contract. Match rights are very valuable with him, even though this is going to be a flush year. But my big concern, and this has been true for me, I've been a skeptic of Jerry Rozier for a while, is can he create reliable offense? And if he can't, as good as Terry Rozier is at a lot of the other parts of basketball, you know, he's a a wonderful rebounder, an active defender, capable shooter at times, uh, especially if he's off ball. I don't think that player is super valuable. You know, if you don't believe, as I don't believe that he can do that, and a a big number for that. So yeah, Boston has a 104 offensive rating in the minutes, and that's not great. But when you take out the minutes that he's playing with Kyrie, when obviously Kyrie is running the show primarily, the Celtics have a 101-1 offensive rating, and that's 7th percentile in the entire league so the sales pitch to other teams has to be that he'll do better with them and you know maybe he will but a team like orlando or phoenix let's say phoenix's idea is that rosier is going to be a complimentary piece to devin booker kind of you know playing off ball a little bit but but facing the other team's point guards i don't know that they're falling off their chairs to to do that to then end up properly paying him or close to it next summer terry rosier's career high in assists has come this year and it's 4.4 per 36 minutes that is really bad. Now he played some minutes with Hayward. You know, hasn't had the ball in his hands as much. But even when they've needed him to have the ball in his hands, when he's played some, played with Smart in previous years, or Smart maybe had the ball in his hands more as well. But Rozier's never been a great finisher at the rim. He's never been a guy who's able to get in the lane and really distribute. You know, not a great pick and roll operator. His career high in true shooting is 52%. He's got a 49% career. He's at uh, age 24 uh, this season. So I could see, uh, and his one offensive skill that's been pretty good for him has been shooting the three. But even that, you know, he was 38% last year, down to 35% this year, and he wasn't great before that. Career 36% three-point shooter. You imagine that it'll get a little better, obviously, as he gets older. So I see him really as kind of a smaller version version of what George Hill was earlier in his career. George had a couple of years late you know, that year in Utah when he was healthy and then uh, the year that Paul George was hurt in Indiana where he had showed some more pick and roll ability and, and really was able to set guys up. But I see Terry as kind of a smaller version of that player. He doesn't have quite as much size you know, to check larger players as Hill does so or did earlier in his career. So that's to me is a very low end starter potentially. He's a solid defender but you know maybe not not as much size to switch as you might like for that type of player. So yeah, I mean, I think the Phoenix fit is decent. The Orlando fit to me, maybe not, is not as good. You know, that that's one of a potential destination there because uh, they really need a on-ball pick-and-roll creator. All right, that was eight minutes, but let's do a real quick lightning round here. Has Al Horford slipped as uh, Eric Cartmenes? Clearly this year. I mean, the, the stats are very clear about that. That knee tendonitis also is age hasn't shot it as well Zach Lowe pointed out that he hasn't been moving quite as well defensively so the question is just by the playoffs can he get back to where he was I mean he had his best playoffs last year and you would imagine that he's going to be at least somewhat worse than he was in the playoffs a year ago um and then what do you predict will be the crunch time lineup at the end of the season I think it's going to be very fluid uh as we talked about in the question about the starters all right let's get to the nets here I'm happy we don't have to do the Celtics nets transition anymore talking about that trade now that the obligation is expired 
Nets are 20 and 22, 6 and 4 since the last 15 and 60, though they did lose to the Celtics on Monday. Their net rating is negative 0.9, which is 20th in the league, 14th in offense, 22nd in defense. 538 projects them to win 37 games, which ties them for the 8th seed, which is amazing. It gives them 62% chance of making the playoffs with that, you know, 6 and 4 stretch over their last that, 10. That would be fantastic. I'm really rooting for them over Detroit oh, yeah. and Charlotte and Miami. Well, they're they're also the most watchable team at the bottom of the Eastern at the bottom of the Eastern Conference playoff yeah. picture. Uh, although I, I, like, Charlotte the, actually, I enjoy, I heartily enjoy watching Charlotte them. actually because they've kind of been the same team for a while. Maybe I underrate their watchability. Kemba is pretty good. They spread the floor a little bit. Uh, they don't they don't yeah. play much defense. But yeah. Uh, so where do you want to start uh, with the net? I think we should start with the question from Crandis McBasketball, which is what are your opinions on Kuruks and what kind of upside does he have? I like Kuruks. So every once in a while with European players who come in, you get this kind of question, especially when you watch Kuruks play. Like, I think he's more more capable than most guys who come into the league and say, so oh, you know, maybe, well, he's 22 or he's 23. That happens. No, this is his age 20 season. Like, Kuruks is a normal age of an NBA rookie and he fits in really well offensively with what the Nets want to do because he's capable and comfortable taking all of his shots, you know, kind of the Mori ball ideal. So 81% of his shots this season are at the rim or from three and making 66% from the, at the basket, which, you know, like it, cleaning the glass has that, you know, because if, if you have a subscriber there, they sort it by positions and he's classified as a big. So 66% doesn't look good. But for me, I think of Kubrick's as a forward and that's fine. You know, I'm good with that number and, you know, efficient player overall weird thing with him and i also i like him defensively like and you know not a, a huge plus but but capable and again we're talking about a 20 year old if he's if looked he's a little better showing some functionality on that end that's a good looked thing. a little better moving his feet yeah. than expected given yeah. his uh, you know just his physical profile yeah yeah like, i don't think he's going to be a huge plus but if he ends up being a you know even a, a a neutral or a slight positive that's fine that's great i mean i think you're totally cool with that and one thing that's really weird and this is something i'd like to dig into at some point is when I was looking through synergy stuff, Kuruks has been really inefficient as a transition scorer and I guess technically as a transition passer, he doesn't do a ton of that. And I just need to see what that is. Remember last year I did this dig on Aaron Gordon and just found out he was taking too many bad shots, but we're, you know, halfway into a season where he didn't play a ton at the beginning. So it might just be sample noise, something like that. So generally I like him. I think that he can fit in well. And with forwards, the supply is so low and the demand is so high that I think Kuruks could fit in as a guy who if you need him to start like this, like the Nets have dealt with, with with their injuries, he can do that. And if he's a better fit on your bench, that's totally fine too. Yeah, Kurix, it looks like he, he's been pretty inefficient as the ball handler in transition. Um, has six turnovers in twenty possessions, which hasn't helped much. And then uh, as a wing guy, you know, he's he's mostly been uh, spotting up for threes a, a little bit more. So I'm a, he's a guy I really would like to watch more of uh, as the season goes on. I think we're gonna see a, a fair amount of him. In some ways, I think he's been better than Damari Carroll, who uh, has had some decent offensive games lately, but hasn't shot it as well this season and also is looking really creaky defensively in that Bulls game. Uh, just, you know, in terms of getting getting loose balls and staying in front of guys, you know, he, he's, this is the last year of that contract that people always thought would kind of be bad. And he ended up getting traded as a bad contract a couple of years ago, but lives up to it maybe last year, this year, uh, coming off of that ankle issue uh, has not looked as spry. So, I, I mean, I, I think... Kurex, because it's not even so much laterally, I want to see how much weight he can put on. I mean, he is painfully thin at this point in time. And so that, I think, is going to determine a lot here if he 
can be strong enough to really hold up in the post against some bigger players or on switches like that's going to be a big part of it for me because I think he could be a very effective and efficient off-ball player offensively whether it's shooting the ball opportunistic drives to the basket I don't think he's going to be you know posting up or running a pick and roll doing much in terms of on ball uh you know if he could be a maybe a pick and pop guy as well they can use him maybe somewhat similar to the way they use Joe Harris when Harris is playing at, at a larger position but I mean it, yeah so if you want to say how he's being used this year he's he's actually got 15 isolations and he's at 1.8 points per possession in isolation so maybe I'm not giving him enough credit there I should go back and watch those uh and hasn't posted up he's posted up one time this year and uh run four pick and rolls as the ball in it but that that iso stuff is a, a little bit interesting the Nets could use some more guys uh who could do something uh, with the ball in their hands uh, uh, even just against mismatches because all of their creation is concentrated on the perimeter right now a question i liked from drew davis how many of the current nets are on the next next good nets team and i'll define that as you know that could host a playoff series or credibly win one you know so this year's team probably doesn't qualify but you know they could in a future year and so this is a pretty young nets team i mean kuruks is age 20 season jared allen of course is age 20 season karis lavert who it's amazing that they've done as well as they have i mean i thought the lavert injury was just going to submarine their season it hasn't he's this is age 24 season i expect him to be around for a while dinwiddie 25 and then then you have the guys who it's like they're young enough to be a part of it but you don't know it because of their pending free agency ronde hollis jefferson and d'angelo russell my instinct is that the first guys i named will be there that this will be like two years from now and then i'm less certain on d'angelo and on ronde hollis jefferson what is d'angelo russell's ceiling if he doesn't improve his finishing at the rim or ability to get to the line what other recent guards have succeeded with these flaws uh, as uh darren Balitsky and, and russell it's so interesting for him because he'll have games where he looks really good i mean that bulls game he absolutely dominated he was killing the bulls in pick and roll and also just draining all sorts of threes when they tried to go under uh i can add to his flaws just i mean people have talked about him getting better defensively this year and maybe that's true to a limited extent but he's just such a wallflower i guess a, a noodle defensively against any kind of a larger player he just deactivates kind of stands there does the hands up just kind of lets himself get knocked backwards out of the play you know just doesn't even show any kind of fight uh where there's other guys uh, with his physical profile who are able to actually just at least keep trying and and stay in the play instead of just all right you know I tried I got knocked out of the way and I'm just gonna let my, that happen to me uh so he just doesn't have the toughness defensively um so I'm trying to th- I mean succeeded is interesting right I mean if you're talking about an offensive point guard I think he's reasonably solid there but switching on him you know he's not able to beat that at all you know that's a, a that's a problem uh even against like pretty middling switch defenders I, I don't know can you think of a comp for him uh, I it's hard to think of a lot of guys who are just that slow uh yet that skilled for from three i mean we've been in this era where you're just allowed to bomb threes only for about 10 years or so now um so but even someone like steve nash was a far better athlete and far better finisher than russell is uh despite russell's superior size and length um yeah i'll try and i'll try and think about it. anybody come to mind for you I, I i'm not saying this is a good comp but the first guy i thought of was patty mills where i'm like okay you know not a great athlete doesn't get to the i don't think he gets to the rimaton off the top of my head but he's you know a backup a backup up one in the league so huh yeah, yeah that might really be the worst any, comp I mean, you've it's ever such come a strange up with profile. <laughs> but but perhaps that speaks to the difficulty I mean, was, of the uh, exercise 
Yeah, like that. That's what I'm saying. There, I'm like, guy that's not a great athlete can shoot threes and can actually like play in the league. Like that's. <sighs> yeah. So I mean, but I think he's. I don't know. I, I think having him on a team also with Levert and Dinwiddie that now you know as that as a three guard attack and then maybe if it's a team that's not as conducive to Russell's stylings uh, uh, that doesn't play conventional pick and roll defense at the end of games, you can take him out at the end and go with Levert and Dinwiddie instead guys who have a little bit more ability to score one-on-one than Russell does but it's just kind of like a slow uh, I mean he's in some ways he's kind of like a point guard but Joe Johnson wasn't the passer and pick and roll guy that Russell is but he's kind of like a point guard version of that just very slow gets to a spot at later career Joe Johnson in particular uh, likes to shoot over guys um but yeah I, I don't really have a great comp for him and that's usually not the greatest sign when you're talking about someone long term Russell again you know he's taking strides forward every year uh and we were talking about this yesterday it's it'd be interesting to think of uh, it's quite possible that he becomes the best of those three guys in a row that the Lakers drafted at number two uh quite possibly becomes the worst too much to be written about all three of those guys still um do you see the Nets being buyers at the deadline I think I could see them giving I don't see them giving up a first but I could see them giving up maybe a, a second or two uh, you know especially if it's looking like they're gonna be decent here I think it's also interesting to me if they make the playoffs to talk about them potentially being a, a team that can get into the free agent derby I mean there's talk about KD wanting to go to the Knicks I think if he really wants to be in New York, the Nets might be a better one, although uh, the Knicks, I, I'm guessing all those rumors there are, are more for kind of personal reasons, perhaps, than just uh, basketball reasons. Um, what interest will D'Lo get in free agency? Oh, yeah, one quick ahead, thing. One, sorry. One quick thing to mention for them as a, as a buyer is that the Nets have the Knicks second round pick and that could be you know like a, a good enough asset to actually intrigue somebody but not just like a huge part of brooklyn's future so maybe that's the type of thing that they could use to get somebody who could help yeah and maybe just they could really use a guy who can defend a little bit better i don't see them getting someone in the backcourt i mean between lavert if he can come back dinwiddie and russell they're probably set for backcourt creators but either somebody who can do a little bit of isolation work from the wing would be useful or you know a real legit three and d guy i mean those elite guys are probably not going to be available at the price they're willing to pay but at least someone who is an above average defender and can hit a three they really don't have that player at this point in time and their defense to me is is the biggest concern all right that's good for the nets let's move to the 19 and 20 charlotte hornets five and five since the last 15 and 60 they squeaked out a win over the mostly devin bookerless Suns on sunday in their last game before this uh, 1.3 net rating is 15th in the nba as you hilariously noted they are no longer one of the the most unlucky teams in the nba because they've had to blow out losses uh and uh they are ninth in offense and 18th in defense they project for 37 wins and a tie for the eighth seed 54 percent playoff odds and it, there's a, a little bit of news uh, about them yeah, so basically it's become apparent that Frank Kaminsky is not a particularly notable part of the rotation, even with Cody Zeller missing four to six weeks. So they're kind of thinking about moving him. But the problem, and I think this at first place I heard this was the sporting news, is that they would they would like to pair Frank Kaminsky to offload another big salary. And the one that they were trying to do it with is Nikola Batum, which is unbelievably amazing. It's like, oh, we want Frank Kaminsky. Oh, you have to take on some salary. Oh, don't really 
really want to do that. Who who are you thinking? Nicolas Batum. Oh, great. Like, I mean, that, it's, it's so amazing. It's so Hornets to be like, take this small thing that maybe somebody's interested in as a flyer and be like, oh, and take on like our worst contract. Well, Kaminsky is still worth four first round picks, right? Maybe you should offer him to, uh, yep. yeah, although it, I, it wasn't actually Kaminsky to be clear. It was that pick that the Celtics apparently wanted to draft. Yeah, it would have been Justice Winslow. Winslow. Um, so let's uh, start here. Is the idea that Kemba Walker, oh, actually here, no, this is, this is more related. Is it possible for the Hornets to dump a two what would it take as uh, Nathan Bowie? So I like looking contracts at this point by what they are after this season. Batum after this season, two years, 52.6 million. That's a lot of money. One thing that I found out when I was doing this, I, I completely forgot what Nikola Batum's age is. He's turned He turned 30 in mid-December. He's, I believe, two weeks older than Eric Gordon, which is also weird. Uh, but this year, you know, he's, beco- he's show, kind of starting to show that age, even at age 30, because he's just become a more limited player player he does have a 57 percent true shooting but it's on 13 percent usage which is shockingly low and yeah i mean this the, the harness starting lineup has kemba and some other creators but like uh, jeremy lamb's having a wonderful season and right now batum is shooting 40 percent on threes and 46 percent of his shots going back to pipm he is 327th in the league that is not great incidentally it is a little bit below miles bridges who is an interesting person to talk about in this context but batum you know he's playing about 31 minutes a game at four Forward, and there's value in that considering the scarcity of the position so what i wanted to ask you was two years 53 million let's let's round it up a little bit how much dead money is there on that contract how what are you really asking another team to take on yeah i don't think of batum as a really a starter level of player anymore and that's probably going to get worse i mean he's always been overrated defensively and he was usually back in the day more effective on smaller players because he's not really that physical uh i think he's kind of let his body go as well you know he's kind of like skinny fat at this point in time uh so defensively i don't think he offers a lot especially now that he's slowed down he, he shows more effort against phoenix but overall i don't think he's a positive on that end any longer and a guy that you can't just leave and he'll still shoot some three-pointers going to his right every now and again but as you mentioned the usage is really low so i mean i think he's if he were a free agent this summer you know you'd be looking at three or four million dollars a year for like two years you know that'd be the sort of player so that's basically all dead money essentially and if you want to look at this year right it doesn't seem like now granted money was a little tighter this summer than it will be in future years with the so so many fewer teams having cap space and then also uh the fact that so many teams are trying to unload money which it will probably be less the case going forward here but when we talk about some of those sour 16s you know those 16 million dollars 17 million dollar a year contracts that had two years left on them your mozgovs your biombos your turners though he's not as bad as those guys are your dangs those couldn't really get moved we saw unless they're for each other (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so and, and i think the reason for that was one first round pick wasn't enough to offload those and we saw about 20 million dollars in dead money for one first round pick that still has been about accurate going back to uh the henson deli trades the bucks gave up a first rounder although admittedly a crappy one to cleveland although the deli and henson can still play a little bit so he's gonna have 50 million dollars in dead money two first round picks to me is is the price to get rid of him and so i think he's going to be around for a while unless there's some other deck chairs moving sort of trade in which they can take on equally bad money or if just a different type or something like that so i think he's just going to be around uh, I don't see them moving him. Yeah, there are a lot of parallels here with Chandler Parsons, except that Batum has an extra year and is a more productive player right now, just because their contract is too big to really make the kind of 
smaller moves that would be possible, you know, if the guy, if he was making 10 or 20 million, you know, 10 or 20 million years opposed to that full on amount. And also what is Charlotte gaining by offloading that, that contract? So yeah, maybe it takes two first round picks and in a certain circumstance, you know, there are times when teams have given up a lot, like go back to the Warriors giving up two firsts to offload the guys so they could sign Andre Iguodala. Yeah, that's an incentive to do it. But Charlotte, they don't have that kind of an incentive. They're not go. They're not going to be a big cap space team. And the, if they need to duck the tax, let's say, let's say they re-sign Kemba Walker to a bunch of money and they have to duck the tax next year, they will do that another way. They will not do that by dumping Nicola Batum, even if maybe he'd be the guy they'd like to move the least most. It's just that the pr- asking price is going to change that. We can transition to a question from Nick Colvin. Is the idea that Kemba Walker has no help overblown given the strong seasons from Jeremy Lamb, Tony Parker, and other, and including Marvin Williams? Yes and no. I mean, it's still Kemba Walker's show. Yes, Jeremy Lamb, Marvin Williams, and Tony Parker have had better years and that has helped. But the the guy that I thought of as like a worthwhile comparison here is Damian Lillard. Like we both had those guys pretty close in all NBA consideration. I think they were each of our third team guards. And I would say that Damian Lillard has meaningfully more help. And yeah, you know, Lamb has had a good year and is probably, you know, actually probably similarly productive in some ways to CJ this year. But this is CJ having a down year and Jeremy Lamb having an up year. And overall, I think I think Portland has has a little bit more help there and Dame has to do less night in night out so yeah I mean Kemba has better help this year but I mean that doesn't mean that I think I think saying he had no help was always a little bit overwrought yeah and there are some players who are maybe uh, and by the way I, I take issue with your lamb has been as good as CJ this year remark but uh these guys are maybe doing a little bit better than expected this year but they're still pretty limited players overall and I mean as, as Jeremy Lamb as your second banana I mean if you think about it as slotting these guys into to the roles that they're playing on this team right with lamb as your number two creator he's well below average as a number two creator marvin williams has held on to more of his value than i expected and this is age 32 season but nonetheless very limited offensively he's basically just a three-point shooter and, and defensively he's solid but not uh, unbelievable and zeller has always been undersized at the center position he's having a nice year as a role man and and but you know if you're going to rank the centers he's going to be in the lower half of starting centers in the league so it's really when you're matching guys up to just other players at their position at their role within the team hierarchy they're still going to be a lot lower even if relative to expectations they might have been well but i think it's interesting to talk about parker's season quickly here he's gotten a lot of pub for playing well and he's had some really big games he just he and hernan gomez just completely eviscerated the sun's horrendous pick and roll defense uh, on sunday and he's had some you know vintage tony parker moments but he's still under 50 percent true shooting and 24 percent usage so that's not fantastic uh you know he's not really getting the line as much he's not really shooting threes of course there is a lot of value and i think dennis Schroeder is in the same way in okc where you can look at these backup point guards some as just you know what is the offense look like when they're on the floor and for parker we probably actually should look at him on the floor and kemba off because they've had some moments where they've played together and i think have been relatively effective but parker has a 2.2 net rating but that's mostly based on the offense play or, or the defense playing pretty well it's a 106 offensive rating with parker on the floor and that includes some minutes with kemba walker as well kemba's is 111 so you're guessing that with parker by himself on the floor it's a lot worse uh, than that 106 
there's value in just having. I actually, yeah, go I, ahead. You got it. Sorry, you got it. Yeah, it. So um, I'm using cleaning the glass. I'm not sure if you were. Yeah. So there's obviously some context shifting if if you were if you're not. But so they're at uh, 1091 with Parker on, Kemba off, using cleaning the glasses figure and a plus 0.7 net rating. So the net rating, it, yeah, I, I we're not possibly comparing apples to apples depending on what you're using. Uh, okay. Well, yeah, yeah, I was using NBA.com, so that's uh, numbers be a little lower there. But okay. it's uh, so that's not bad. I mean, so and yeah, those guys may. Not not be as efficient but if they could just keep the offense moving give it somewhere to go someone to create shots and then set some other guys up you know so i think he's having a solid year i i wouldn't put him as like an elite backup point guard at this point in time or, or anything but it be compared to what they've had before since they were unable to re-sign Jeremy Lin, he's been a lot better. And so I think a lot of this to me, you know, the root of that question is just kind of relative to what we've had, relative to expectations. And I think a lot of fans of teams can kind of fall into that a little bit as opposed to just really looking at, all right, what do we have here relative to the league? Uh, so I spent a little more time on that, but but I think that's it's important to remember, hey, all right, let's really, when you're evaluating your own players, let's really go through it and say, you know, if the, and not only in the role this guy is playing on our team, Team, but if you were playing a role on another team or other guys who are playing this role on different teams you know where do they fit in and i think you know a lot of these hornets guys don't fit in that great uh could the hornets use carmelo's creation asked bill eisenstein no i don't think so i mean they're they're ninth in offense and their defense is terrible so i i don't think that uh, i think the defense is where they can improve i think the number one need to me right now is a Dwayne deadman type of center you know who can block some shots and be a little bit more of a defensive intimidator biombo uh other than his maybe his last year in charlotte and his one year in toronto has not been that in his career and then another question who should the hornets start with zeller out what do you think at center i think they should use Aaron gomez as the primary guy he can he can fit well to have some nice chemistry with kemba walker when they play together but they can toy around with closing games with the mkg williams combination i would say mkg is the center in those lineups really on both ends of the floor yeah. but depending on how the assignments work out you can go you can go that way too they should try it out and i just just because i feel like i have to clarify this i do not think that Jeremy Lamb is either a better player or is necessarily having a better season than CJ. I just think it's a closer conversation. I mean, I'm not again, I'm not citing these stats as gospel, but Lamb is ahead of him in RPM, PER, and PIPM. And a lot of that is like rebounding and kind of some defensive stuff, which I think of CJ's creation as more valuable and maybe that's underappreciated in those. But I just want to say Jeremy Lamb's having a great season and CJ's having a worse season, so it's a closer conversation than it was. Before. All right, fair enough. And, and I may actually overrate CJ a, a little bit you know based on some of the big games that he's had the fact that he's been in the playoffs um so there is something to be said for that um all right let's move on here to indochino north america's leading made to measure menswear company they make suits and shirts to your exact specifications for an unparalleled fit and comfort and i love indochino i have a number of suits from them i even have a tux from them because they outfitted me for my wedding and then also took care of my groomsmen got them some sports jackets you say sports jacket or sport jacket? I guess it's a sport jacket huh uh are you you're probably not the person to ask about this are you yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm probably not but i i think it's sport jacket yeah it, that's it what's is, in my it head is sport jacket i just was trying to make it sound like my verbal slip could actually uh have been proper but that's clearly not true it's a sport jacket so the way it works uh, at indochino is they customize it to your exact measurements and if you're buying suits off the rack it's just not as good for me i've got kind of bigger shoulders smaller chest long arms so to get a suit off the rack they would have to in 
theory tailor it it took almost as long there as it would take for indochino to make me the suit and send it to me a lot of times it was like a tent on me in the chest they could never actually get it right with the tailoring because it wasn't made for me same thing with the pants that was always the worst right i would have like a 44 or 46 usually and then that would come with these pants that were like 38 or 40 and they would have to take in the pants and then okay the waist was narrow enough but it would kind of billow out around my hips it was really just did not look right so indochino you're not going to have that problem and then you can choose your fabric and customize your lapel the lining give it a little personal character the angle of the pockets the buttons a monogram and a couple of weeks later your suit gets mailed to you whether you go into one of their north american showrooms i think they have them in uh, most nba markets now or they have a tutorial online of how to measure yourself and send that in. This week, just $359 for an Indochino suit at Indochino.com when you enter the code CAPSPACE. Easy remember, we talk about it all the time in the program. At checkout, that's 50% off the regular price for a made-to-measure premium suit. Shipping is free. Use that CAPSPACE code to get any premium suit for just $359 and free shipping. This is an incredible deal. And make sure you use that CAPSPACE code. Let them know that you came from us. Eight minutes on the clock here, Danny, for the Chicago Bulls. I feel like I should talk really slowly. <laughs> the Chicago Bulls are 10 and 30, 3 and 6 since the last 1560. Their negative 9.7 net rating puts them 28th in the NBA. They are last in offense and a surprising 19th in defense. They are 22nd, or sorry, projected to win 22 games, which would put them 13th. So they're one of those three teams below the Hawks that we were discussing before. They aren't going to make the playoffs. And I think the most interesting question we got asked is from Greg Feltz. It was, can Wendell Carter and Lowry Markinen play together or not? I mean, we, we still don't know for sure that both of those players are starting caliber. And of course, that's a, that's a consideration here because I'm, I'm interpreting the question as, can you start those guys as a front court long term? Because, you know, but I, I think... If we're talking more, let's start with fit. Yeah, I I think the fit works reasonably well. You know, Wendell Carter, I like him defensively. There's some some intriguing potential there. I mean, we talked about him moving better than than anticipated, and that helped him on both offense and defense. And you know, he, his three pointer will need to come around, but I think that it that it can. And so defensively, if he's more of a kind of a you know little bit of switchability, but more of a standard five, Markinen to me, his best role off, defensively is as a four. And I mean, he needs to be better shooting from three and from two, especially from two. But yeah, I mean, I I think they can play together. I don't see any particular incongruity with those two guys. Yeah, I think what may have inspired the question, the numbers with them together are awful right now. 436 possessions, negative 12.6 net rating. Where does that fall apart? Pretty much everywhere. Don't get any offensive rebounds. Never, ever get to the foul line with those units. And the most used units there too, I mean, a lot of it has happened with Zach Levine out so they just haven't had the offensive creation so that's part of it too and they've only played 34 possessions with marketing Carter Levine and Chris Dunn all out there small forward of course uh, for this team has kind of been a black hole so it's really offensively where it hasn't been good. I mean, that's obviously been the case throughout the, the Jim Boylan era with them slowing it down, which is something that we've really complained about. Defensively, it's been fine. About league average with those groups uh, on the floor, Markman and Carter. But just when you think about the theory of what these guys can be, Carter, I think, profiles as a very smart defender. Not an unbelievable athlete, to be sure, but 
good enough at the center position. And then Markkanen can look good at times moving his feet, but overall, I think he'll end up being a little bit below average as a power forward. Defensively, he's not really going to protect the rim a ton, not going to cover ground, not really great help instincts either. And he can move his feet, but you're still not going to be ecstatic about him switching onto a point guard or something like that. But I mean, people talked about the theory of them as working together pretty well. Carter, we haven't seen a ton of him passing the ball but they do i mean in theory once carter gets to shoot a few more threes those guys can space the floor for one another uh one of the two of them can get down in the post and attack a mismatch while the other one spaces the floor so i I don't see any problems so far despite the numbers being ugly i think more of that is just that they've played a lot of their minutes with terrible perimeter creation and that they haven't been doing anything in transition because Jim Boylan's been slowing them down. The offense has been relatively archaic, although it seemed like Paxson had a meeting with him and they tried to go to a little bit more of an up-tempo approach against the Pacers where it looked good and then they got rocked by the Nets and the offense sucked again uh, on over the weekend. So I, I don't see a problem. Oh, I, I, one small yeah. thing I wanted... Uh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. One small thing I wanted to add. Mar- I, I said marketed should do better from three. I ha- I had in my head that he was in the mid-30s. He's at 40% this year. He's yeah. done better Two over the last week or so. Two-point shooting is where he sucked yeah, this year. Fine. Yes. Yeah. 46, I think. Something like that. Yeah, it was under 40% a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, maybe, maybe it's looking a little better, but we'll see. Yeah. I mean, this has been a weird time for the Bulls, obviously, with Boylan trying to get them to defend more and that somehow playing slower is going to make them do that, which I don't really agree with. I don't think that that holds up uh, to much scrutiny. But the bigger problem is just that they uh, have such limited perimeter guys uh, for a lot of the time here. Zach Levine uh, finally is back now, so maybe we'll get a chance uh, to evaluate. So we have... About two minutes and 30 seconds left here. How would you evaluate the job Jim Boylan is doing in Chicago? Has your opinion of him changed since he came on the show? Asked Mark K. And I thought he was very uh, articulate and kind and interesting on the show. Whether that makes a good coach or not, you, know, I, I, you can't tell that off of a 25-minute interview necessarily. You know, I, I think that Boylan is passionate. You, you, can, uh, you can't argue that part of it, but... And they have defended better, which he deserves some credit for. Obviously, the fiasco uh, at the beginning did not look good uh, around the league. And uh, you never want to have those type of headlines. And the offense has been really bad. This idea of, oh, you know, we have to crawl, crawl, walk, run. It sounds a lot better coming out of clay davis's mouth than his so getting these guys to defend is encouraging we'll see if he can open up the offense a little bit i mean i do think that he has a little bit more intellectual approach to basketball than he's given credit for just based on knowing him a little bit but obviously there's gonna have to be results on the floor and those his philosophy i think is going to have to evolve in some degree and i think at least you can give him credit for the fact that he you know does seem to be willing to change things to some degree um so we'll see how the offense looks the rest of the year i mean if they're posting up robin lopez 37 times a game at the end of the year well he probably won't be on the team but if they play like that the rest of the year and he's telling them to slow it down all the time when you know you've got dunn and levine and uh, marketing and carter guys who should be able to get out in transition then uh, there will be some level of concern for me, to be sure. Yeah, I think we're just dealing with a, a relatively small sample size. And fortunately, Boylan isn't saying as many ridiculous things publicly, so we don't have to focus on that part of it as much. And yeah, we'll, we'll see in terms of the approach. Something that I, I generally support is, you know, the idea of going slower, that it can increase your chances of winning games just by, you know, increasing the value of variance. Yeah. But Chicago, they're, try, they're trying to develop players. They're trying to evaluate everything else. And that's always the hard thing for a coach who's trying to establish themselves is, 
their goal and maybe the team goals are different. I'm not saying like the Bulls should tank and try to play hard, you know, play fast to lose more. It's just that if that's the kind of style that you think guys like Zach Levine and depending on how they feel about Markin and Carter that they would do best in, my goal for the rest of the season would be evaluation first. And so then you want to make the ecosystem as similar as you can to what you want to do as opposed to what when what gives you the best chance of winning game. 30 seconds left here. What roles might Wayne Seldon and Marshawn Brooks play at the Bulls this year? Well, Brooks uh, has already been waived, of course, uh, as uh, Evan Zaucha. And then uh, Seldon, I'm hopeful that he's going to get a chance to, to earn some minutes uh, at backup shooting guard he's obviously not going to start that's going to be zach levine i think even at small forward he could potentially get some time they're going to start chandler hutchison certainly since he's more a part of the future uh, in theory but you know i I think selden should get 20 minutes a game uh, on this group i think he's certainly deserves more time than Antonio Blakeney or Raleigh Alkins who's, who's on a two-way contract uh, with them I like him better than Archdiakno uh, as well I mean so he'll kind of be in the mix with Archdiakno Shaq Harrison as well but I, I think Selden has uh, more tools than either of those guys when you consider his potential shooting ability uh, ability to get to the basket and uh, pretty good strength so I, they're gonna have to get something more out of him defensively but he does have uh, some potential to me I like him better than basically any guard that they have uh, who's not in the starting lineup but we'll see whether they agree there and he from was a team building perspective <laughs> yeah yeah he was but where i was going is from a team building perspective there's also the element that selden if they if he does well enough they can retain him i mean it's possible that he gets an offer sheet but low cap hold low qualifying offer totally fine to, to bring him back you could even you know if they have some vaunted use for all of their cap space they could use that and then match on selden or whatever or just straight up sign him after that so i think they should give him a real shot i, I think that would be a mistake not to especially Especially when you consider the general lack of like real high end upside of their other guys. I really like Shaq Harrison, but I'm not here saying Shaq Harrison is going to be like a, you know, real high end player in the future. I just like him being a part of a team. So if you can give Selden the lion's share or at least the highest share of the minutes of any non-starting guard, I'd be happy with it. Let's move to the Cavs now. We may take a little bit less time on them since we only had two questions and we've talked about one of them relatively recently there, but they are 8 and 32, 0 9 since the last 15 and 60 30th in net rating now negative 11.2 their offensive rating 105.9 is 25th their defensive rating is 117 that is 30th and that is 30th by 1.9 points per 100 that is just so bad the knicks uh, are 29th and uh, zach Lowe noted this that i think relative to league average they are they might be even the worst defense in nba history right now so uh yeah no i guess it wasn't lebron <laughs> last year um uh, oh, they do have some new guys there. So let's start with this. Which JR gets traded first? Tim Hardaway Jr., JR, Otto Porter Jr., JR, or JR Smith uh, as uh, Esteadi? I think it's JR Smith. The reason for that being that his old CBA non guaranteed contract is grandfathered in so he's guaranteed about three million of the 18 million that he's due next year and so that could be a way for another team to reduce salary and waive him but the reason in particular that that's a valuable contract is he could be traded at that full value because it's old cba where he knew cba he would count as three million outgoing or i think it's 18 million outgoing and three million incoming so it basically makes him extremely difficult to make the math worth on a trade unless you're trading him into a caps space essentially so that's actually could be a way for a team to reduce salary by just trading for him 
and waiving him and the Cavs could take on salary despite not having any cap space really this summer so I think he's more likely to get traded Porter is just such a big contract same thing with Hardaway uh, both those guys are negative value on their deals though they can both still play uh, Porter more so than Hardaway in my opinion so it's interesting to think about you know maybe you'd say Hardaway is just going to get traded and the Knicks will give up an asset to move him because they're just uh, their cap space aspirations this summer and uh, the Knicks by the way interestingly enough are going to have a very high draft pick and that's actually going to hurt their cap room this year but I, I'm sure they can get off of some money they could always stretch Courtney Lee uh, uh, as well but I'm going to predict JR because I think it's nearly inevitable that he will be traded especially because Cleveland has now shown with those Hill the Hill Henson trade or, or the Hill trade for Delhi and Henson that they are kind of in bad contract asset acquisition mode as they were the first time LeBron left that is definitely the mode they're in what might make this a little less likely when I, I was doing the math for a piece for the athletic and Cleveland's getting a little bit close to the 1920 spending line because they're not going to pay the tax obviously next year and so I'm not sure they want to take on another contract you know if the opportunity presents itself and it's something reasonable they get the right asset back you know if they get a first round pick or something sure yeah by all means and but I, I still think it's JR just because he is in a different situation he doesn't fit the timeline of the team and while the Knicks could move Tim Hardaway that requires somebody saying yes we don't know if that's going to happen and also remember that Mills was integral in signing Tim Hardaway he is still heavily involved in the Knicks decision process it's you know Perry I, I consider Perry is running the show but Mills is still heavily involved you can correct me if I'm wrong there obviously Grunfeld is has been and will be in power forever so he picked Otto Porter he signed Otto Porter that contract or at least matched the offer sheet and then I believe technically Kobe Altman signed no no he didn't I guess it was David Griffin that signed JR to that contract yes that's right summer of 20 well yeah 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 summer of 2017 so or no no it was 16 yeah, yeah. right after the so right after the championship it was 16 yeah. he was 16 Corver was 17 right yeah and so so I think that that but also just the Cavs are in such a different place even if it had been Kobe Altman that did it this is a totally different Cavs team so yeah I think that that JR is the leader however there is also a chance that JR just doesn't get traded at all and then the other two guys are are, are favorites there the other question is from Todd J. Any realistic trades for Kevin Love, assuming they will take back bad money? I think my best answer is no. I do not have any realistic trades for Kevin Love, but I want to go through why. Kevin Love's contract after this season, four years, $120 million, and he will start that remaining stuff with his age 31 season. I mean, it's fair to say that Kevin Love is heavily post-prime at this point. That doesn't mean every year is going to be worse than the year he's having right now, or even necessarily, I'm trying to remember how he was last year, but, you know, post-prime is post-prime. And the big question there is, so four years, 120 million, if we can, I consider that clearly a negative value contract based on what we know right now, probably based on what we will know at the end of this season. The bigger question is not, you know, who wants to necessarily take on Kevin Love, it's what is the benefit for Cleveland? You know, if a team sees Kevin Love as a positive asset, then yeah, absolutely. You make that trade, you make it in a heartbeat. But if he is a negative value asset, this is very similar to Nicola Batum I talked about before. Why would Cleveland give up something to get away from him? So he has to pass the Nene test for the trade partner for me because otherwise there isn't really a point. And if, so as his value drops, then it becomes less likely that he gets traded. And the other big problem here is because of the sour 16s and because of just how recklessly teams 
spent then and because that's now two and a half years ago there just aren't that many bad contracts that run a really long time yeah nobody's so had the cap space the since then gilbert arenas richard lewis yeah nobody's had the cap space since then to give out those yeah. bad contracts that's a great point right so you're, you're comparing a lot of the bad contracts in the league expire in 2020 and so well, and trading kevin love for one of those guys on why there aren't as many of those right now is i mean we teams had cap space in the summer of 2018 but they are the ones who had the levers they could make players take shorter deals because there's just there was more players out there looking for jobs than there were teams with money when it's a buyer's market then you have to give the longer years or you're just not going to get the guys so that's that's why we haven't seen as many bad contracts the last couple of years as well there sorry i just wanted to to, to break in but I, i'm gonna agree no, with that's a great point yeah, it, it's it's really yeah and so yeah. so the contracts we could see kevin love get traded for probably have not been signed yet i think that's the way that this is going to work and so i, I mean maybe there's a chance that in late july or something like that a team sees their 2019 20 cap space is just less valuable and hey kevin loves better than we're going to do he's an established pro but then the other big problem there is that there aren't that many teams with where he makes a huge difference where like let's say he takes them from a non-playoff team to a playoff team that also have the financial flexibility and the immediate win now desire like it it's going to take a perfect storm and i don't see that brewing so i don't really have any realistic trades at this moment in time yeah now i think the one way that it goes differently than what you're talking about is that there's a team that still thinks that kevin love is good but before the trade deadline with him now he may not even play before the trade deadline it's a little more unrealistic how much is he going to play after that as a veteran they're going to be in full-on tank mode obviously though he'll want to come back and play a little bit i think i think he's going to want to leave that's for sure you know but yeah i mean i, I said 130 million left uh, i misspoke it's 120 wow we really went on there for the caps longer than, than he thought but yeah I, I do think he's gonna have to reestablish value now the one reason why maybe they could be motivated to move him is just because it's only gonna get worse in terms of the his perception and so maybe they want to just get ahead of it and get rid of him now because they see him internally and they're just afraid he's gonna get hurt again or they just you know watch him come back from the surgery and they know that he looks like crap more so than maybe uh, other teams would and there's they feel like hey we can get off of this albatross now uh but yeah i don't see them throwing in assets but there could be a team that would be interested in him to be sure he's still a name he's still white he's still marketable i guess uh so it only ever takes one yep that's all it ever takes yeah cleveland should know that well sadly for him there are they, no coach gms anymore yeah yeah cleveland should know that well because they uh they, they were the ones who traded for jordan clarkson um all right that's good enough on them let's move to detroit 17 and 21 really struggling since ish smith went out they are three and seven since the last 15 and 60 lost a couple of games uh, two pretty good teams utah and san antonio at home negative 2.4 net rating is 23rd in the nba 23rd ranked offense 12th ranked defense they project for 30 38 wins would be a tie for sixth uh although that's one above uh, where the eighth seed is supposed to land right now 60 percent playoff odds let's start with this one because we talked about this a little bit on yesterday's program is andre drummond even an above average starting center asked tuki dookie i it's a tough call I would say I'd probably have him a little bit below that just because I'm not totally sold on him as a, you know, a consistent defensive force. And then what he does offensively
offensively is certainly useful, but I, I like oh, some of the skill sets of other guys. Now, at a couple of different data points here. Using PIPM, he is the 14th, number 14 of listed centers. And I, I don't recall seeing too many non-listed centers above him. And one of those guys above him doesn't start. That's Dwight Powell. But he's just above Miles Turner and Al Horford, both of whom I would take over Drummond you know, without too, too much consideration. I like both those guys meaningfully better than Drummond right now. He's also 30th among centers in RPM. And he's still in a ridiculously dominant rebounder and RPM loves rebounding. So that's that's kind of a, a point here. Uh, off the top of my head, we're not doing our center rankings right now. I would probably have him at right around this. I think that's probably the tier he would be in, but whether he ends up being, you know, like 13th or 17th or 15th is a little bit of a, a tough call. So he's in yeah. the conversation. I mean, I'm going to say with what I value, I would have him slightly below. Yeah, and above average starting center means so much less than it used to, right? Because I think we talked about this a lot. I talked about this when I went on the Bright Side of the Sun podcast with uh, Tim and Dave talking about DeAndre Ayton and why I just don't think he profiles as that valuable because unless you are either the type of center who makes a good defense on your own or a good offense on your own it's hard to say that you're that valuable right even you know, all right Drummond and also like these post-ups really just kill their offense too that that's not great but you know Drummond's kind of already right, gets on the offensive glass that's great although his lack of touch you know a lot of those offensive rebounds are just kind of end up getting tipped off the glass or he blows the put back or something so they're not i don't think his offensive rebounds are as valuable as they are for say you know a clint capella type of guy he's not just coming in like crushing tip dunks on people's heads as often and to say that you're above average that just doesn't mean that much right i mean he's not elite in any area other than rebounding and rebounding just isn't that important these days so to me even if he is above average he's not in the tier of of elite guys and he's made a couple of all-star teams and you know maybe i guess he deserved that but it's that's again says more about the east than it says about him but i, I think the, the crux of the question is hey this guy's making 25 million this year 27 million next year and ah, that player option he might opt into at 28.7 million in 2021 Oh man, that year is going to be so annoying to say, having to say the word 23 times to describe one year. So yeah, he's overpaid from a team building perspective. He's not necessarily helping them that much. Also worth noting, he has an 8% trade bonus. Let's move to this question from Ben Richardson. Who should the Pistons be targeting in trades to put around Griffin if they're choosing to compete in the next couple of years and who could they trade? Well, I think the number one thing that they need, obviously, is just better point guard play, really having a good pick and roll operator we talked yesterday on the program about how reggie jackson's fall off has been a big part of their struggles and their disappointments you know to not have been a consistent playoff team these last couple of years mostly due to injury and so that's the type of player that they need there is a robust point guard market this summer in free agency unfortunately they do not really have a a ton of space they might be able to swing the full mid-level if they were to move on from stanley johnson but i think the other thing they could really use is like a Lou Williams type of guy, just like a microwave score type off the bench. And those sort of guys it could be uh, available uh, for the amount of money uh, that they're going to have. They also could lose Ish Smith this summer, though. He's going to be a free agent. So that's what they need. I mean, they just need more creation, more scoring. I mean, a good point guard would be great, but that's probably not realistic unless they really wanted to make a trade here with a, another first round pick because that's really the only assets that they have I mean, if you look at this team there's nobody you would look at that say hey we can trade this guy for anybody decent so they would have to go into the well for a, another first round pick and 
you know, I guess, I mean, now that they're kind of pot committed with Blake Griffin and they want to just chase the AC these next few years, that was really always what that trade was always about. I guess you could throw in a, another first round pick and, and try to get someone uh, who's a, an established, you know, maybe not Jeff Teague now, but a guy who was at Jeff Teague's level a couple of years ago. I mean, remember they the Pacers traded George Hill for Teague, Utah, gave up the number 12 pick for George Hill. Atlanta was willing to part with Teague, who was in the last year of his contract, of course, for that number 12 overall pick that became Tori and Prince so they'll have a pick right around that range if they want to give that up and try to get a a relatively middling point guard that trade might be out there I'll give you one. I, I'm not sure if their current front office is going to consider this, but we said for Kevin Love, it only takes one. And the guy that I would be shopping the hardest is Andre Drummond, because this might be the last year where there are still a couple teams that see his physical potential, that see he's a monster rebounder and all those things and go, oh yeah, you know, 27 million a year for him. That's fine. You know, we, we can do that. And you don't even need to necessarily move Drummond for a great piece, just somebody who's capable, who plays a position of greater need. And then you can kind of fill in center at others you know however that's going to work and the other thing with that that could do depending on what kind of a salary you got back maybe you could get get the timeline a little bit better because right now Jackson Lure Galway all expire for 2020 and even with all of that with Blake and Drummond they they only have 43 million that sounds like a lot but then remember everything that's going to come on top of that all their draft picks any signings between now and then so I don't think that's as much functional space as maybe some would think that it is so if they could get Drummond involved yeah i think they definitely should consider that it'll depend on the market of course and as you said like they don't have these many positive value contracts so trading reggie trading lure galway something like that it's going to be really tough and remember amazing as this is next year they still have 5.3 million in dead money for josh smith that will be the final year that he is on their books yay the pacers are 26 and 13 6 and 3 since the last time we checked in on them fourth in the entire nba with a 5.8 net rating 16 ranked offense second ranked defense Uh, they did have a relatively discouraging loss at toronto without Kawhi leonard over the weekend first question here blog boy without a blog is current thad young better than current draymond green oof they're probably relatively equal as three-point shooters at at this point in time green is still way better than him defensively better passer uh young does add a post-up element that green does not but no i'm not i'm not willing to say that yet i mean thaddeus young has been very good he's going to get heavy all defense consideration for me uh, but Draymond Green I think is still actually I mean we talked about this in our awards probably playing at the highest level of anyone defensively in the NBA right now and uh, I think Young you know has been above his established level Green has been a little bit below so no I'm not ready to say that yet yeah for these two guys I mean I think that their their defensive value outpaces their offensive value and Green is a materially better defender as great as Thaddeus Young has been so to me that is that supersedes Draymond's much better Draymond's a better rim protector and he's a much better switch defender uh, on smaller players y- young is very good uh in the post but even Draymond. i mean young guarding post up centers he's not as good as draymond draymond's just much more versatile. i mean draymond's one of the greatest defensive players in nba history um and maybe he's slipped a little bit but uh no i'm I, i'm not ready to say that yet even if you want to say that young is a, a better offensive player at this point in time than draymond is a better finisher better post up guy uh but draymond is a superior passer and probably about the same as a shooter uh has grab and go ability which young doesn't really have so I, i'm not going to say that you know young's probably been better than draymond this year offensively if draymond's offense really continues to slip then that, that might change but uh no i can't say that yet um oh, what kind of contracts would you give thad young and 
uh, Boyan Bogdanovich next season if you're going to re-sign them, which, you know, I, I'm going to guess the Pacers will, will do that or, or at least try to. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I think that to me, just because he fits in more cleanly, Thaddeus Young is, is I, I really like the combination of him with their centers. I think that really is a big part of why they're second in the league in defense. I mean, there are a lot of different reasons for it, but I think that's an important one. And Bogdanovich, the problem there is positional scarcity. And so I think they kind of need to make an identity. For Thaddeus Young, I'm thinking something in like the three year range. Like, do you think eight, 18 million a year is fair? I that that kind of that's that mo- that was my first thought was three three years, 18 million a year. Oof, that seems a little rich. I don't know if he's going to have that much of a market. I think he's always been underrated throughout the league. Granted, nobody had space last year, but he did opt into one year, 14 million. So I don't know that I mean, they will have full bird rights on him. If I were them, I might be looking if things continue to go well the rest of the year to maybe bring back Bogdanovich, bring back Young. I would not bring back Collison unless it's at a greatly reduced salary of, you know, five million a year or something like that uh, as clearly the backup point guard. And just try to maybe overpay these guys for a year or two and then try to rebuild this. I mean, they still have Oladipo, they still have Turner, they still have Sabonis. I do think at some point they're going to need to reload with younger guys around that group. And Indiana has not been a huge cap space destination. So that may be easier said than done. But, you know, those guys are going to be in their 30s and they're both having potentially career years at at this point in time. So you you don't want to overpay for that. I mean, I I would be thinking more along the lines of something in the, if you are going to go longer term, I'd want it to be probably lower than 15 million a year. Or I'd want it, I might be fine with that 18 million for Thad Young for some maybe two years three seems like a, a little bit too much there um our Oladipo struggles recently regression from last season or more a result of his knee issues some of its regression uh, that shooting that he had the first half of the year was unsustainable but to me I really have not seen the same explosion for him getting to the rim and finishing at the rim as we saw last season so yeah I do believe that that may be the result of his knee issues I agree with you and he certainly had some highlights I watched a fair portion of that Bulls game he had a, a really nice lefty dunk in that game and then he had he had another lefty dunk I think in the game before that but the possession by possession athleticism i'm not seeing as much right now and so i i do think that there's some lingering effects of the knee issue a question that i thought was interesting from feed me basketball are the pacers a legit threat to finish in first place in the east and or make it to the nba finals so i personally feel that they are more likely to to finish first in the east than to make the nba finals because the way rotation shake out and individual talents and all that kind of stuff i think that helps other teams more than it helps them because they are an ensemble you could think about how good the center position is for them and you know a point guard giving whoever you know giving their reportioning their minutes doesn't really help obviously it does with like guys like Oladipo but think about like even the Raptors even though they're a depth team just their their star power I think is is, is heavier there but I absolutely think that the, it's a possibility that we should consider that the Pacers are going to be a monstrous regular season team their defense is great oh they were able to survive Oladipo's absence I hope and expect that he will play a higher proportion of the second half of the season than the first half which would be wonderful for them and these teams are all good they can all take care of beating the bad teams and then hope and then it's just kind of about how the schedule how the schedule disparity breaks out i believe off the top of my head that indiana has a harder remaining schedule than toronto and milwaukee but they could you know but i would say that's more likely i wouldn't say that they're the favorites in any way shape or form and legit threat you know they're on the kind of on the fringes of that for the regular season for me but it could happen absolutely 
yeah old depot would have to play incredibly well for them in the playoffs i just don't think they have the offensive ceiling they've got some guys like bogdanovich is going to regress a little bit as well i do think that while their defense has been very very impressive there, there are places to attack there carlson bogdanovich with faster players sabonis we'll see if how turner looks in that playoff crucible although he's been wonderful this season but Old Depot would have to play at a much higher level, and I think they're going to really need to get more of Turner spacing out to the three-point line, which he's been doing a little more of lately, but uh, to really compete with some of the best uh, offensively. I still think that they are most likely scenario for them is losing in the first round. Um, last question on them real quickly here. How do the, we've talked about Sabonis's six-man candidacy already uh, on the awards, but how do they address the Turner-Sabonis situation going forward, asked Max. And the answer is very carefully. You just can't have, you know, those guys have played together a little bit, but I still don't think that that can be your basic alignment. And so if they're going to give Sabonis an extension, he, he's been very good, but ultimately he's going to be a backup center on this team. Miles Turner is the guy that they have invested in. That's the reality at this point. Now, if they could get Sabonis for Larry Nance money and extension you know four years 46 million yeah that's something that i would consider doing especially because i think that's a could be a tradable contract and Sabonis deserves a lot of credit for how much he's improved as well but there's, there's still a ceiling on that and like we've talked about so many times he's a, a great role man he can post up some but there are a lot of guys who can do that you know is and he's much better than say willie hernan gomez offensively but willie hernan gomez can give you 75 percent of Sabonis offensively Sabonis obviously much better defensively but there's just so many easy ways to replace that production and you just you can't put too much of your money into centers especially neither of whom uh, are likely to be a superstar uh, i don't think so they got to be very careful there they also have to be careful because i doubt their ownership wants to pay the luxury tax and so if they want to spend on other positions whether it's in the summer of 2019 or 2020 then that gets really complicated with the money that they're already paying and, and at some point they're good oladipo is going to get a raise off of his 21 million and so the, the kind of thinking long game you don't want to trap yourselves and that's something that could happen if they gave sabonis a lot of money even though i like both those guys you just kind of and you don't necessarily have to make a decision right now but at some point in the next year or so i think they'll have a pretty good idea yeah i've totally been forgetting to set the timer for some of these teams but eight minutes on the clock now for the miami heat 19 and 19 very encouraging i think they had reached an adr at seven and 13 at one point six and three in the last 15 and 60 or i'm sorry since the last 15 and 60 they did get completely blown out by the hawks on sunday actually have a positive net rating 0.7 17th in the nba 22nd on offense but up to 7th in defense they are projected for 38 wins which would be a tie for 6 and 60% chance at the playoffs one quick note I wanted to make before we get into the questions Miami is currently number one in clutch defensive rating after being middle of the road the last couple of years and so that's a big part of why they've been they have a positive plus 10.5 net rating in clutch situations and 11 and 10 despite still having a bad close game offense so that's worth watching just of whether that can continue and obviously they have great defensive personnel so that part of it can continue but you know some of it is a make or miss league when we're dealing with a small sample I think they've played 70 clutch minutes so far I think the most important question that we should talk about is from Parisa Shireen. What are your thoughts on Justice Winslow starting a point guard experiment? Does he have a future at that position? So Eric Spolster announced the shift for their December 28th game against the Cavs. So they played five games in those games. Winslow has averaged 14 points with six assists. 1.8 1.8 turnovers, so over a three assist to turnover ratio, six rebounds, and that three and two record, including that bad loss in Atlanta. And so, my 
overarching part of this is it actually kind of reminds me of Brandon Ingram. And what I mean by that is Winslow is absolutely better with the ball in his hands. And I, I think that has it has activated him. It ha- it helps create value. You know, he can he can he can generate some seams in the defense. But I don't think that him playing that role is generally going to be successful for a team that's trying to be really competitive. You know, if you're trying to be a middle of the road team or or in Miami's case right now, where they're we're stopgap because Goran Dragic is out with the surgery. Sure. Absolutely. I think that it's been a better option than I anticipated and a better option than really what they have on the table. So that's a good thing. But I think making any like big personnel decisions based on that kind of success would be a mistake. Yeah, this is necessity is the mother of invention here. If you look at real point guard skills pick and roll you can just go under on him anytime he's not going to bang a three on you or even a two necessarily off the dribble getting to the rim he's not an elite finisher you know his dribbling is probably the skill that is most improved since he was drafted so there's something to be said for that as a grab and go guy he can be okay but it's really more that he provides a lot defensively and josh richardson it's really asking him asking too much of him to be the main ball handler they need him to be a scorer on this team and then the other aspect is well if winslow has the ball now you need to guard him i know he shot a little bit better from three this year but he's still not a, a huge threat there so it's a place to put him where he has to be guarded in theory as opposed to if you're having richardson run the show then winslow off the ball is not as not gonna have a, as much gravity so he can dribble but as a pick and roll score as a passer i mean a lot of these assists that he's had you know it's not like crazy value-added assists a lot of it is just kind of running the offense style assists that you're just going to have because you're the guy who has the ball and so i just don't see him as a an elite rim attacker i don't see him elite as a passer i mean now when we're actually comparing him to point guards you know if you're comparing him to other guys who are small forwards or power forwards then yeah you know he looks a little bit better there so i think this is more just like well someone has to handle the ball for us we don't have anyone else um but if you're really going to compare him to actual point guards offensively you know it's just it's not gonna work uh i don't think you can feel that amazing about it um why is miami having some success with their zone defense that went reasonably well for them against the rockets in particular uh asan whiteside is utterly statuesque he is incapable of guarding the perimeter or if he is going to guard the perimeter he's incapable of fulfilling help responsibilities like when i thought it was pretty notable in that hawks game for example when he was guarding John Collins, who's not been an amazing shooter in the corner, he was just completely unable to offer any kind of help. He got over one time and committed a foul, uh, but just he's too slow and his recognition is too bad to guard anyone with any kind of shooting ability. So if you're playing zone, now you can station him more towards the basket. Zone at other levels has long been favored of teams with more size who are a little bit slower and have bigs that you don't want to have out on the perimeter. You want to keep them near the basket. Defense of three seconds, of course, makes that more difficult in the NBA, but the concept still helps. And then you've got guys out top who have pretty decent size Richardson Winslow who can use their length having a lot of length also helps when you're playing some zone so I think that and in particular against Houston it was a way for them to avoid having to switch out of unfavorable matchups James Harden likes to operate above the arc and so if you're playing a 2-3 zone you keep your two best defenders out there above the arc and you're always going to have help behind them with the zone um you want to take this one should Miami look to deal John 
Josh Richardson now for future assets, considering they aren't going anywhere now? I don't think they should. The next year and a half might be a little bit uninspiring just because Miami feels really set with their roster for a couple different reasons. But July 2020, the Heat have serious cap space. Richardson will be 26 with likely one more season left on his really team-friendly contract because 21-22 is a player option, a low player option that I expect for him to decline. So I think you're kind of trying to set things up for them, Miami, depending on how their front office looks and everything else like that, but there's been remarkable stability for them so far that I think they'll be ready to kind of go after it at that point. And Josh Richardson is a good piece for it. Now, if somebody makes you an irresponsible offer and you know says like, we really want Josh Richardson, we want him to be our guy, then you think about that differently. But without knowledge that that is definitely going to happen or that that's on the table, I would lean towards no. And so, yeah, it's it's not fun to cover a team that's pretty consistent or to follow a team, more importantly, that's consistent. And then, you know, it's kind of like low end playoff team, probably going to lose in the first round in like five, six games in a hard fought series. But moving away from that to me would be kind of damaging just because I don't I don't think there's really a way to do that without like giving up assets or, you know, making something of that future worse. And so if they could somehow have their cake and eat too, sure, by all means, like if you can ever get a team to make a stupid trade, you do it. But other than that, don't. And and that's kind of goes along with the Noah Negrin question, which is, does Miami have enough to be a dark horse in an AD trade? And my answer is no. Not only are they out a billion second round picks and they're that unprotected first, which complicates things from a Stepien rule perspective, but they just, I mean, I love Josh and they have a few other guys that I like, but I just don't think their asset pool is that strong. Okay. That was uh, good for the Heat. The Bucks, 28 and 11, 9 and 2 since the last 15 and 60. We talked about their win over Utah last night. If you need more Bucks talk, 9.3 net rating by far first in the nba second on offense fifth on defense that's actually risen a little bit they project for 57 wins which would be second in the nba they will make the playoffs nick wider asks what do the bucks need at the deadline danny i don't think they need a whole heck of a lot i mean if if they're healthy getting george hill helps the guard depth they have options at center i mean with brooke and with thon i would love to see them have just one more forward that might just be dj wilson if you keeps playing really well but maybe somebody who's more three-sized who you can try in some situations but the problem is those guys are really hard to get and so yeah i I, my instinct especially considering they already gave up that pick and they are the bloodstone pick already i don't think there's a lot that they're going to do and they can try to sell themselves hard on the buyout market and say hey look you know we're a championship contender you can be on our team maybe depending on what position you play there are minutes to be had but no i don't see i don't see a screaming screaming need do you see one they need another guy who can guard Kawhi Leonard. That'd be nice. You know, Middleton is okay there. Giannis can't do it because he can't get through a screen. I mean, maybe on a last, you know, last couple minutes ISO sort of situation, he could do it. But yeah, I mean, even Middleton is going to get overpowered by Kawhi. And, you know, that's not the end of the world. I mean, there's a lot of teams that don't have somebody who's strong enough to guard Kawhi Leonard and quick enough to also get over a pick and roll. I mean, there's probably 15 guys like that in the whole league. So to me, that's probably it. I worry a little bit, you know, if they had to go up against the Warriors in the finals and it's amazing that we're talking about this team in that light then they could probably use a little bit more versatility at the big position but i don't think that's realistic and as you said they're already out two first round picks maybe on the buyout market they could get someone um but i mean they they also the beauty of their team is that everybody on the wing is a quality three-point shooter and so they're not going to want to give that up for more defensive specialist type i mean their their whole team is built around the only guy who can't shoot on this team is Giannis. and if you add one more 
into these lineups uh, that's going to really take their offense down a ton uh somewhat related here Hugh Jack the abominable showman not snowman asks is there too much hand wringing over Brooke Lopez in the playoffs this is something we've hit on a little bit that I think given the teams that they are going to go against in the east playoffs no I don't don't think so I don't see any of those teams as being able to play him off the floor part of that too is helped by the fact that Eric Bledsoe does have some flaws defensively and Eric Nemma wrote a good piece about how he gets through screens for the athletic actually sat down with him and watched a little film of it theathletic.com slash cap space if you want to sign up for that because they have Bledsoe you know Kyrie is really the only guy that you'd look at as like oh man this guy is so good in the pick and roll and pulling for three and he can pull Lopez away from the rim that we're going to really struggle here now you could also make the argument that Lopez and pick and roll defense they protect him a lot by bringing in more help from other areas and that's part of why they give up so many threes is because they have Lopez kind of hanging out back there but they're going to take away shots at the rim with that approach so I think if they can put Bledsoe on Kyrie and just have him kind of stick to him get through those screens force him into two-point jumpers uh there isn't any east team to me really the, probably the biggest one is Kemba Walker actually uh, who has lit up the Bucks in a couple of games this year uh, if they have to play him in the first round but I, I don't think that Charlotte has enough firepower to to uh hurt the Bucks and certainly no chance of, of stopping him uh, on the other end and Lopez is so important offensively so no I don't I think Golden State to me is the only team that really could play Lopez off the floor and even Golden State because they've had so many other limited guys and they may you know have cousins out there uh with Green and Looney you know there's enough places to hide and help off of that you know Golden State even has not been playing these centers off the floor when they go small nearly as much as in prior seasons so no I, I think it may be uh, uh that Hugh Jack the abominable showman uh is correct that there is too much hand wringing over him in the playoffs but we haven't really seen him deep in the playoffs yet so I could be wrong there Houston might be the one actually that's uh if they were to somehow play them in the finals that would be the worst matchup for him and we're actually going to do the NBA cast for Houston and Milwaukee tomorrow night so we'll get a great look at that I can't wait to see that game yeah really excited about that I I found the question from Ted Hearing really interesting is this meaning the 18-19 season the Bucks best shot at a title considering they have several guys on expiring deals and the doubt that ownership will pay the lecture tax and I think the answer is it it very well could be yes we don't know that for sure obviously because Middleton and Bledsoe could come back Lopez could come back too but even though Giannis could have better years than this I mean he's both of our pick for MVP right now. The ridiculous Budenholzer has this team playing really good offense and defense. And if I were to guess which way the talent ebb and flow is going to go from here, I would guess it's going to go down. So yeah. you have all that. And then the other thing is well, well let, me, let me break in with, on, are, on that point there. Sure. Um, I mean, they have a plus nine net rating right now. I mean, generally just regression to the mean is that you're going to be worse yeah. than that the next year. And then when you consider also the number of free agents they have, thinking that they're all going to come back you know that something is going to happen with one of those guys eventually or just they've been completely healthy this year too there could be an injury um and then uh, also Giannis Antetokounmpo uh could leave the summer after next I mean it, it, they'll he'll be uh eligible if that designated player veteran extension if they don't get the results that he wants these next couple of years you know they could be in the same position next summer as the Pels will be this summer so that's uh that's another concern too that they could only have one more year left crazily enough in the Giannis era uh with this being the first 
this year that they've been good uh yeah and then the unwillingness to pay the tax if that is in fact the case um is certainly a concern as well so so yeah but then you're gonna say the the competition part about guys guys returning yeah well so before it gets to the competition point it's also hard to imagine that if they lost somebody that they would be able to upgrade on it just limited flexibility and because milwaukee is not a historic destination and remember if they theoretically let's say a a big free agent was interested in them they would be committing for longer than Giannis, unless because Giannis, you know i believe he cannot sign an extension until 2020 is that correct i'm trying to remember off my head yeah i shouldn't do this on the fly yeah because yeah yeah, ad can this year and then Giannis can next year yeah yeah so so that that would be a big commitment for somebody let's say even if they were interested in playing with Giannis and and everything that comes with that so yeah i think this is there and then the competition so yeah the east is loaded this year with very good teams but i don't think there's a you know just an absolute killer out there the celtics are interesting and the sixers and the pacers you know all those teams are very good i would say the biggest threat is the raptors just because their their talent pool the way they play i think the 12 obviously the warriors are still really really good so yeah i think this is this is their best shot and i i won't know until july how by the degree to which it's their best shot but yeah i think it's a by meaningful degree as of right now is there any chance that Lopez forces small lineups off the floor in the playoffs as John Hayden Brady? I don't think so. And we saw a lot of it last night because Lopez is just not going to post up. And maybe the I think the Bucks would do well to just try to get a few more looks with him in the post. Try that out. See, you know, if you are going to go to this strategy. Now, he was being guarded by Derek Favors part of that time, but a lot of times he's being guarded by Jay Crowder. And Lopez is just so huge. The problem with Lopez is that he's a terrible passer. And so getting him into the post forcing a double team you know he's not going to be able to be the hub of the offense but i think they should experiment in those situations with some sets where he can just go post up i mean he, like it is crazy how big he is like that is something that people really forget about him like he's not even just you know a normal center he's huge even for a center so to just go in and like stick his ass into a guy post up right at the charge circle and just you know four or five possessions a game try to post him up there i think that's something that they should pursue they just haven't been doing that at all and he's been awesome spacing out you don't want to do too much of that because now you're taking away uh from what Giannis uh, can do uh last question do any bucks players belong in the defensive player of the year conversation i think Giannis probably does we we gave him short shrift i think uh in not discussing him the other day uh, let's move on to the Knicks. Yeah, I think I think yeah he deserves he deserves to be in the conversation. I wouldn't have him, you know, at the top, which is why I didn't think we discussed him. But he's in the conversation, sure. Danny, didn't you the hear the timer? Ted, <laughs> I, I I had to finish my thought, Nate. I I, I, I know you can't sympathize with that, but it's <laughs> the Knickerbockers. 10 and 30, 1 and 8 since the last 15 and 60. They are now 26th in net rating at negative 8.9, 24th in offense, uh, depressing 29th in defense. And 538 projects them to win 20 games, which puts them as one of the other teams below the Hawks. They would be 14th in the Eastern Conference. They are not making the playoffs. And I like that the way the way this was Lee put this together was he didn't really pick a single Kevin Knox question. He's just like, there were a lot of questions about Kevin Knox, which is appropriate. And so we could just, I, this isn't going to be the full dunked on breakdown of Kevin Knox but I wanted to talk a little bit about it because Knox since December 1st he is scoring 16.4 points per game that is really exciting he is you know the the best young prospect on the Knicks 
especially statistically. That's the good part. And I'm sure there are people who are, who are, who a were, and I think that were is important here and are more optimistic on Kevin Knox, but I, I still don't see it personally. I think that especially offensively, the reason he has been more productive is that he is just getting a ton more volume. He is taking 15 shots per game to get to that 16 points per game. And he is shooting 30% on threes. That's great. But that also means that he's shooting just over 40% on twos. That is distinctly not great. And these are just his December numbers. They also aren't weighted down by his struggles at the beginning of the season. So overall, the offensive picture in December, which was his best month, 50% true shooting on 22.5% usage. And Knox is not great defensively. So the, the problem that I had with him, and this is true in the draft process, and it might just be that I'm low on him and it'll take some time. You know, that, that happens with players all, all the time. You know, if you're low on them, you just, you see the negatives more than the positives is that gaming this out a little bit. So if a player is not, he's not a lead defender, at least when I watch him, he's not a lead defender on like forwards or anything. And I think that that is, you know, probably going to be the case for the rest of his career. He has physical talent, but not that type of it. Okay. So then he's more of a complimentary forward defender and offensively, you know, he can score, but he's probably not going to be the linchpin of your offense. And so that can be a guy that's useful forwards. As we talked about back with Nick Batum, even if they're not stars, they're really valuable just to soak up minutes. And he could be better than that, obviously. But the idea of him being kind of like a centerpiece of this, I just, I don't see how that works for a successful team for a middling team. Yeah, absolutely. There, there are lots of paths there, but for a, like a team that wins a playoff series, I think that Knox is more of a complimentary guy. I was encouraged that Knox had some big rebounding games. I think he had 25 and 15 in a game a couple of weeks ago. He's going to have to find a way to be more efficient. The 38% from three is good. Free throw rate's okay for a rookie, about 25%. But you mentioned that the two-point shooting is so bad. I mean, and the Knicks don't have a a ton there. They want to let him spread his wings a, a little bit. But certainly, guys of his age, these high usage guys, will have these big games on occasion when you're taking that many shots and you're creating that many shots. That is a skill. But there's just a tendency, especially with the within a fan base, to really focus on oh these great games and his potential and not really notice the games that he's going three for fourteen or whatever. Now Knox, one of the youngest players in the NBA, at a very late birthday. This is age nineteen season. So for him to be able to show this skill level I think it is useful but I what I really need from him is you know I don't see him being a number one type of option maybe he could be a number one too I, I think the Nick Batum comparison is an interesting one Knox has more athleticism than him maybe a better natural shooter even as well and certainly more of an aggressive mindset but that kind of you know the Chandler Parsons type of player you know again Knox is doing more taking more shots than those guys were at this age I mean Chandler Parsons was at Florida at this time and was for for a couple more seasons after that. But I just want to see more from him defensively, more in the effort categories, more physical dominance, more ability to play the four defensively. You know, he's just got to get a lot tougher to me is a big part of it. And you never know with these guys, right? I mean, we've long been kind of lower on this archetype of player, right? Andrew Wiggins, you know, guys who shoot a lot of shots on bad teams inefficiently early in their career and don't really do much else, right? So Andrew Wiggins is a guy who hasn't quite panned out. Um, And he, in theory, is even more athletic than Knox, although Knox is there as well so but he's so young right he could 
certainly improve it in a lot of these areas generally though playing with passion physicality those are things just your mentality that could be improved but there's also a natural component to that as well so i've i mean he has a lot of flashes you like that to be sure but just with this statistical profile the odds are against him becoming a a big star at this point in time but he does have youth on his side i'm certainly not foreclosing that outcome yeah i'm not foreclosing it either and again it's kind of defining terms if he becomes a productive starter i I would be very happy with that of me, especially considering where he was picked and putting undue expectations on it can lead to disappointment too. I know it's great to be enthusiastic early and and that's it's a really fun thing. I've been around teams like that a lot of times, but it can be yeah, as long as you don't say, oh, anything, anything less than a star is disappointing. I, I would I would advise against that. Noah Negrin asked, is there any way that the Knicks can trade Tim Hardaway Jr. without attaching assets? After this year, Hardaway is owed two years and $37 million. That second year is a player option. I think that's a negative value contract. I believe a lot of teams would feel the same. Maybe not everybody, but that's, you know, again, it's a lot of money. And if you think about like, if Tim Hardaway was going to be on the market, I don't think he would make that kind of money, especially with the the flexibility. And that's the hard thing with player options. If you assume that players and their representation are going to decide them properly, then if Hardaway is awesome next year and outperforms his contract, then he can just opt out and, and he's an unrestricted free agent. Maybe he resigns, but maybe he just leaves. And so maybe, maybe, and here the other big problem here is timing, because if the Knicks really need to move him, then that means they got somebody really good. And the, by that point, teams, the, the potential trade partners will mostly probably still be optimistic about what they can do with their space. And so they can use the moratorium a little bit, but not very much. So my instinct is no, it only ever takes one team. And so it is entirely possible, but I wouldn't expect. Yeah, Hardaway is capable of creating shots, 27% usage. He doesn't turn the ball over too much. He's probably always going to be below average efficiency. This is age 26 season. He might be a little bit better the next couple of years as a shooter but pretty limited passer as well doesn't put a ton of pressure on the rim so not really a starting quality shooting guard to me on a good team you know there definitely are some teams that could maybe use his shot creation on the second unit like detroit for example is a team that could maybe use him and maybe you could see hardaway depending on what happens with the knicks free agency this offseason you could see him getting moved maybe for a guy who's less useful but only has a year left on his contract at similar money maybe you could see that sort of a deal happening for a team that could use his brand of shot creation but i agree with you now we have seen at times teams overpay for that sort of a skill set we saw the jordan clarkson for example teams are just like hey we need someone to score they just get seduced by those counting stats so i'm not going to say it's impossible but it's relatively impossible all right we've got about oh 10 seconds left here so real quick lightning round if you want to pick one uh how many knicks passed the nene test a lot of them actually i mean porzingis burke vonley knox robinson dotson moutier depending on if you're thinking near-term long-term no Kina and Trier. I mean, both those guys just kind of depends on where we're defining terms here. And yeah, they just have they have money tied up in other players, but their their young guys are pretty well priced. All right, let's talk Orlando Magic here uh, at seventeen and twenty three. Uh, but first, uh, what do people get with our Patreon at patreoncom Larue, Danny? They get a subscriber only mailbag podcast where we take questions exclusively from mailbag from from subscribers and we answer them exclusively for them. It's usually really fun. Sometimes we get super substantive and people ask us questions like how we watch games or a bigger scope thing of like how big men are evolving in the league. That's really gives us the space to to go into those bigger questions. We've had some really fun ones there. Also, salary cap sheets 
and some free agency preview stuff, which is really exciting that's going on right now. And then we're, we're a month away from the trade deadline. So salary cap sheets will be incredibly valuable. And then whenever we can think of another way to, to add value, we do it. Like I do airport AMAs when I'm, you know, sitting at an airport gate, I just spontaneously, you know, put it out there and people can ask me questions. I answer candidly, usually in a sentence or less, depending on if I'm phone or computer. And so all those types of things. And we're trying to do it as a way of supporting the NBA cast because we are not at support at this point. But if you, I, I, we, our goal has always been to make the content worth it, that it's not just like, hey, give us money, that it's, it, we're really putting something out there, giving something unique as well. And so that's what it is. Patreon.com slash Duncan LaRue. And I think it's a, it is worth noting too that even Dunked On, we probably have fewer ads per minute than any other basketball podcast <laughs> at this point in time. I would um, guess. Yeah, you know, I mean, even the ESPN podcasts are like, you know, one ad every 10 minutes these days. Uh, okay, let's get to those magic now. 17 and 23, three and eight since the last 15 and 60. They've had some pretty desultory losses of late. They're down to a negative 4.0 net rating, 25th in the NBA. Their good feelings that they had early on here are kind of lost. I think they're, they're settling in about where we thought they would be after they were hovering around 500 for much of the season. Vucevic is still playing well, but not at the crazy level that he had been. And obviously they're really struggling on offense at 26th, 15th ranked defense, which I think is actually an accomplishment when you're starting DJ Augustin and Nikola Vucevic. And they project to be 11th in the conference, 33 wins, only a 20% chance now at the playoffs. I think that seems about right. Uh, Here's a good one that we can talk about. You wanted to hit on this one. Are the Magic better off trading Bamba, Vooch, or John Isaac for a three? Uh, And a related question, that's from Stefan Phil. And then a related question is, uh, do you see a scenario where the Magic can play above average offense with a trio of Mo, Isaac, and Gordon? So I'll answer the second question first. That's It's going to put a lot on the other guys there. I mean, floor spacing of Bamba, Isaac and Gordon is going to be limited. Shot creation is obviously really limited. Those guys, to me, are all dependent players. And so then you're looking at your one and your two, just shouldering a big burden. I think that's a lot. But where I wanted to go with the first question of Bamba Vooch or Isaac for a three is the decision that Orlando has to make in the next month with Vooch. Having a spectacular season about, you know, this is his age 28 year. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent if they keep him around with a $19 million cap hold. And why it's so important is that they just need to figure out, and some of this is going to be talking with Vooch and his representation, about do they want to bring him back and what price would be appropriate? And they're not going to have all the information. They're not going to know what other teams are going to offer necessarily or anything like that. But if their vision is to either, you know, have Bamba eventually overtake him, whether he deserves it or not, or you know a different theory of the team well if you're not going to re-sign Vooch or if there's you know a hard limit on it and said team could go past it from a value proposition even if he's helping you a lot this year you should probably move him especially now that the playoffs are looking more like a distant dream there's a chance that Vooch is happy there or that, that the price that he's looking for is a price that you're willing to pay and then you, there are some other you know ripple effects that come from that in terms of moving other pieces in the rotation but I think they need to come as close as they can to making a Vooch decision in the next month because waiting just makes things worse yeah and he's reached a level this year that i certainly never thought he could get to as an offensive player but he still really and it's not his fault obviously they haven't had better players than him but even at this level he's still sort of holding this franchise hostage in a way that it's just difficult to pick a a direction they drafted bamba yeah i don't think bamba looks like he's ready to start next year and be any good uh 
but they did use the number six overall pick on him they need to be able to see what Bamba and Isaac and Gordon look like together I don't think it's going to look great certainly offensively like to, to answer that session, second question I think the only way it works out is if you know Mo Bamba just becomes an incredible three-point bomber which you know I think he could be semi-capable out there but I don't see him as just like some incredible shooter that teams are just terrified of in pick and pop and sad as it is to say they don't have anywhere close to enough high-end talent on this team right now and well how do you get that if you're the Orlando Magic probably in the draft and I don't think Orlando is the free agent destination it once was back in the 90s when I mean people just kind of want different things now other than just warm weather and gated community golf courses so and Vooch has been good enough that he probably has them winning too many games I know it's gonna suck to hear this for Magic fans like we've been terrible we haven't even remotely sniffed the playoffs since 2012 but they got to find a way to get more high-end talent on this team I mean even if they just keep this same group together right now and you know add responsibly maybe you can get like a decent free agent point guard in the next couple of years you know maybe this group gets to being like an eighth seed every once in a while I mean that's just not good enough like you you they just have to swallow it and be worse and so I think moving on from him at the deadline especially if you could get a first round pick for him I don't know that you could I'm not sure who the suitors are as good as Vooch has been uh, who want to do that I mean can you think of anybody who would really like Vooch is going to help their playoff chase a ton here not that I think would would really give something up where he'd make it I mean theoretically I was gonna not really I mean center is just such a saturated position right now and you know like there are teams that he could help but I don't think there are teams what about the, what about the Hornets? Maker, no. Like, I, I think you could help the Hornets a lot, maybe, or or the Wizards in theory. Although John Wall's he out could. of the year now, um, so the, well, and maybe maybe the way that the Hornets would give up a first would be if they they took on some bad money, you know, like made it a little bit more palatable for them to you know to do whatever it is that they want to do next summer. Maybe something in that in that mold. But yeah, it's tough. Yeah, I, re- I mean, I really don't see. I mean, there's so many centers uh, around the league. I don't see any of these teams as really you know Vooch being an upgrade. For them, other than the Hornets, I just don't really see. I mean, unless there's a team, there's plenty of teams that could use Vooch as a backup. Like the Pistons could really use him as a backup, and maybe they'd be interested in re-signing him. But you know, Vooch is very proud. He's but has a great year. He's going to want to go somewhere that he could be a starter. And so, yeah, I mean, it does seem like if I had to guess, that I bet you he ends up re-signing. Like that that actually strikes me as more likely than not. Crazily enough, because Bamba hasn't really developed that much this year, and he's good, and they will say hey you know we might as well keep them i think the price will actually be pretty reasonable and, well, and so they'll talk themselves into it but it's just like i think they just it's one of those things where they just have to break up like like that he, he's just kind of like as well as he's played well beyond my expectations i don't a expect him to play this well in the future and b just doesn't fit with any kind of a long-term vision of this team but yeah i don't think they're gonna trade right him. and I, it's also like like there's it, not i don't think they yeah. are either and it's also this weird problem where the magic don't have a ton of flexibility abilities they could say and and ownership is often pushing especially for teams that haven't been relevant in a long time pushing to be as good as they can be where they go well you're not going to get anybody better than Vooch on the market and maybe they end up with a draft pick and they can draft a point guard or a talented offensive guard whatever position they play I'd say oh they're going to make a big difference or something like that and yeah it is this kind of weird weird and in some ways sad situation where it would be probably better for both sides if they could go to go in a different direction depending on especially what Vooch 
huge values. You know, he can do whatever the hell he wants, but the gravity is kind of pulling them together. And so even if it's like the opposite of a symbiotic relationship is an antibiotic one. And I don't think that's necessarily true here, but there are elements of it where being together is, is detrimental for both of them. Yeah, I think it's more good for him and in his individual numbers. There's nowhere else in the league where he would have as big of an offensive role. You wanted to talk a little bit about this question from Tony Colborn. Uh, your thoughts on DJ Augustin this season? We got about two minutes left here. I think it's been a little bit. I, I think it's been a little bit underappreciated. I mean, this is also potentially breaking the DJ Augustine cycle of being good one year and bad the next year because he was you know pretty good by his standards last year and then doing well. And one of the big parts, I mean, Orlando talked about their offensive rating is twenty six. They they're of a one oh nine offense when when Augustine's on the floor. Granted, a lot of those minutes are with Vooch and Vooch is awesome. So you know you're you're kind of separating it out. Augustine partially due to that dichotomy is twelfth in among point guards and offensive RPM. So I, he's been better this year than I anticipated. I, I think that some of those things overstated just because of the quality of the substitutes in the second unit and all those sorts of problems. Yeah, but he's been better than I anticipated, and so I wanted to give him a little bit of credit for that. Yeah, I mean we said it before that was a contract that we completely panned at the time, and it's actually been crazily enough one of the better contracts signed it in the summer of 2016. He, he's really produced. I mean, and I mean he's not the 12th best point guard in basketball, but he is gives enough offensive competence that they're actually okay when he's out there and it's just a disaster when he's not right, let's move to philly 26 and 14 six and three uh although really six and four when you talk about that butler story getting out that's got to count as a loss uh since the last 15 and 60 2.5 net rating is all though that's 10th in the nba 12th ranked offense 11th ranked defense projecting for fourth in the conference at 53 wins that'd be two above the pacers for reference they're projected for 51 and uh garrett catalana former student at sbc very cap focused guy assuming no major moves are made should the sixers look to be an over the cap team this summer or renounce most of their free agents and have around 20 million in cap space and i assume he is not including jimmy butler in that as someone to renounce it if they were to renounce butler they would have nearly 50 million in space but they need to hold on to his 30 million dollar cap hold if they want to re-sign him clearly if he moves on then they would be a cap space team there's no way you're going to get 50 million in value for retaining anyone the guys who if they keep butler so the question is basically would you rather have 20 million in space plus your room exception or would you rather have the ability to exceed the salary cap to re-sign existing free agents that you have bird rights on and then use your exceptions depending on how much you pay those guys probably they would end up having access to the full mid-level but so who are those free agents wilson chandler jj reddick they certainly would love to have him back reddick has been excellent this year and then tj mcconnell would be the other one guys that they would want to have back i think for above the moon mike buscala falls into that category as well they had a full bird rights on him They've also got Justin Patton. Well, and I'll note that TJ... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, McConnell's cap hold is low enough that he could work in both scenarios because... Great point, he, great know, point. Depending yeah. on how they want to do it, he's he's at the minimum. So I, I would kind of separate him. For me, it's more, would you rather have $20 million in the room exception or some combination of J.J. Redick, Wilson Chandler, and the full mid-level? Yeah, and I think it all depends on whether you're going to bring back Redick and whether you can uh, agree with him and what the price is. I think if they wanted to go on a longer-term deal for him and something in you know the 10 to 12 million range, remember he made 12.3 this year, but it's going to be a much more robust market. He'll also be a year older. 
So do they want to go another one-year deal uh, for him? They'll have early bird rights on him so they can pay him up to 175% of that $12.3 million. His cap hold will be $16 million. So they get a little extra spending power there by holding on to his cap hold. But as you mentioned... It's uh, kind of an either-or proposition. Now, the other thing you could say is they move on from Marco Fultz in the summer, and then it makes it a little bit easier. You could hold on to that $60 million cap hold from Reddick, bring him back for whatever you want, or maybe even re-sign him uh, for a little bit less. And then you could have 15 to $20 million to work with, and then you also would still have the room exception as well. So that's that's part of why I've been saying they should try to move Fultz now, or maybe, they, maybe in the summer we'll see what ends up happening with him the rest of the year. I'm not sure necessarily that there's a team that would take him on but maybe even you know they could give him up with a second round pick even uh, that might be realistic to do and they have of course plenty of seconds going forward still for this team one of the few assets they have remaining from the hinky era although they got a few more for taking on wilson chandler as well so i think probably cap team but it all depends on reddick and what they can agree on with him yeah off the top of my head this isn't a great free agent class for the type of guy that philly really needs needs i mean if they could get danny green that would be really i, I would love to see what oh, his his fit would be. I, mean, I can't another, wait to see how another much defender gets. i can't wait to see how much he gets in free agency this year so yeah like if, if you can pull that like somehow get danny green and retain jj reddick by all means like it, whatever whatever it takes to do to do that or, or so, you know and, and green i believe he's younger than reddick as well so you can you can go there maybe they could but sign yeah, avery bradley it, I, for I think the minimum. your path maybe they could sign avery bradley for the minimum <laughs> maybe they could i feel like somebody's gonna pay avery bradley not you know like a, the sum that he wanted originally but i feel you know there are enough like people out there that really like avery bradley that i feel like he's gonna he's gonna be one of the players that gets more money than we expect like that it's gonna be fun well we should do a podcast at some point of like those guys of like who's gonna make more more money than we would give them because i think bradley might end up yeah. on that list i mean there's some guys but who could help them on, though real, on, real on, quickly on. here uh you know like a west oh, yeah yeah west matthews reggie bullock trevor ariza mm-hmm. uh Justin Holiday, Damari Carroll. They could even get like two or three of those guys. They're probably going to end up needing more depth. Uh- as well here uh restricted free agent offer sheet to Roddy McGruder although they probably will be in a situation where they can't wait for that uh you know you mentioned Janie Green Contavious Caldwell Pope Iman Shumpert like there there are guys who fit the archetype of what they need as a three and d type Bradley we mentioned Garrett Temple so and some of those guys obviously are much better than others but I mean they really could even stand to get a couple of those guys in there they'll need another option at backup center as well there'll be plenty of guys around for that so they are going to have some needs here I mean, they also would have access to the biannual as well if they stay over the cap, potentially. So I, I think probably more likely than not, they go under, um, especially, you know, I mean, if Butler leaves, then obviously they're going to be under. But yeah, you, you wanted to move on. Sorry, I, I wanted to kind of run through that those list of guys though no no i think that was a worthwhile exercise i'm happy you did it uh the question that i, I thought was just intellectually it was it's the type of thing i don't think about which was in hindsight should from papa e in hindsight should the sixers have drafted mile miles bridges as a charge replacement so this posits the idea that the sixers kind of know where their roster is going before the draft which i mean that's just not the way i usually think about it but so i wanted to go through some of the guys that were available when they took bridges remember they traded the pick yeah. that 
was Mikhail Bridges for Zaire Smith and that Miami pick. So at the Mikhail Bridges spot, you have Mikhail Bridges, Miles Bridges, Shea, Gilgis Alexander, Michael Porter, who's obviously missed this season. And then you could go you could go further down. And then you could also theoretically apply this question to sh- if they had taken somebody other than Zaire Smith. And yeah, I mean, Miles Bridges would be an in- would be a compelling fit. I mean, athletic guy has been a monster from two point range. I would worry. I just I don't I don't know enough. I haven't seen enough of a sample to, to see how I feel about his shot. But yeah, I, I I don't I mean, if we knowing like everything that was going to change with their roster, mm, I think I would probably still make the trade just because we don't know what Miami's going to look like. And maybe you make a different pick at 16. But the marginal difference between Mikhail between Miles Bridges and Zyra Smith plus the Miami pick for me right now, I'm not there yet, but we still haven't seen anything from Zyra really. All right, let's get to the 30-12 and 12 Toronto Raptors. 7-3 in their last 10. 5.3 net rating is 6th. Offensive rating is 6th, 113. That's dropped a, a little bit. Defense also has dropped a little bit. They're ninth right now, but they do still project it for 59 wins, and that's because they have the easiest remaining strength of, schedule, strength of schedule this season per Tankathon. Start with this from Alfie. Do you see Chris Boucher developing into an NBA caliber player? Certainly has the athleticism, very skinny he's on a two-way with the raptors this year the warriors were not impressed that much with him they decided to go instead with guys that they felt could help them a little bit more in theory you know i don't think that damian lee or marcus derrickson has been better than boucher was i think he was on a a two-year two-way so i don't know why they didn't just hold on to him he He was yeah yeah they they basically chose derrickson over boucher Ah, but Derrickson has really helped this year. He's really given the the big team this stretch element. Uh, I haven't seen enough of Boucher this year to really have a a great opinion on that, to be honest. But certainly... If you want to just evaluate him against other two-way guys, he has more promise than many, many of them just because he has NBA athleticism, which is not something that you can say about a lot of those dudes. It is worth noting that Boucher turns 26 in a couple days, so he's also older. And I mean, so how much skill development is really left in there? But I like him. I, th- I think that there's a there's capability capability there as a player. The question that I wanted to go to, mostly because, I, and I still need to do more work on this. I'm not all the way there yet, but it's just an important question. We got two different iterations of this and makes sense from Marshall Boyce and from Jason Halley. Basically, why are the Raptors so ineffective without Kyle Lowry and, you know, the difference in importance between Lowry and Kawhi Leonard? And there are a couple d- different kind of ideas that I am I have in this. One of them just being the way that Kyle Lowry creates is fundamentally different than for Van Vliet and for DeLon Wright. You know, he can, even though Lowry is you know he's sticking bit on the arc a little bit he is a, I, I would say a, a better passer than those guys and van vliet is more of a complimentary piece yeah he he can be an attack dog defensively but i don't like him really creating the initial seam as much so they don't really have a true replacement for what lowry does and the the way that he can interplay when they have the chance which they haven't had too much recently with Kawhi and kind of each one of them taking lead at, at different moments i think that's really valuable as well 117 offensive rating with Kyle Lowry on the floor this year with him off the floor negative 3.6 so yeah that is a stark difference and the offense declines from 117 to 103.5 when he is off the floor and part of that is just Van Vliet has struggled shooting the ball this year right again it had some injury issues uh, as well uh also I think the way that that bench unit succeeded 
was defense and transition a lot uh, last year and so uh, and it also dropped off as the year went along as well that that bench mob unit i think van fleet is solid i think he's probably better defensively at this point than lowry is he played uh, one of the better defensive games we've seen this year on steph curry for example as the raptors uh, blew out the warriors those guys are capable backups. I think part of it is just a bad luck. Part of it is that Kawhi is playing a lot of his minutes with Lowry as well. So is Serge Ibaka. Where, and they've had Valanchunas out there. And Valanchunas is a solid offensive center. But Ibaka gets more spacing as well. Danny Green also. The, you got the collinearity there where Danny Green uh, is really the one guy in this team with CJ Miles really struggling. I think that's been a big part of it too. Miles was really good for them last year and hasn't been able to shoot the ball nearly as well. He's been uh, superseded by Norm Powell recently but they just haven't had quite enough shooting with those guys out there right is not really a plus shooter though he and van vliet play together a lot van vliet hasn't shot it as well so you get all of those things not having as much passing not having that great ability to pull up from deep on the pick and roll who those guys are playing with i think that all plays into why they've struggled so badly with lowry off the floor this year i have one other name that i think is important to throw out here and that is pascal siakam i mean siakam now is a starter and he was a big part of the the energy and the defense of that second unit so you look at the the most used lineup without lowry on the floor is actually still a starter lineup but if you get into like what is really considered a backup one that would be the most used one is fred van vliet delon wright cj miles og ananobi and val that's just you know there certainly is talent on that but the identity of that group is meaningfully different than last year and you know they i I think you could make an argument that over the last couple years they caught lightning in a bottle by player development and having some really good players on that and so you know obviously no slouches there Inunobi's also taken a step back this year so the collinearity i really like that you brought that up just because some of the other players that could help those units just are not playing as much with those units yeah siakam i mean he's been you know almost 70 percent true shooting and pretty decent usage like he's been a wonderful offensive player as well all right this will be interesting can you do a draft of players in a toronto milwaukee series this is this is fun so just for for this year uh you know in a playoff series we'll say and not not necessarily of like okay a draft of how they're gonna play in that particular series but just generally as playoff players i think it's getting a little too granular to talk about that particular series i'll start with Kawhi leonard uh i think he's still uh i will i will take him over Giannis. So your pick. I will too. We might be. We well, might no, no, be a just, little let's just bit do it this way. You do, I'll do a on, pick. On. I'll do a pick and you do. A pick. Oh, we're going to do. Yeah. Oh, so like the all-star game thing. Yeah. Okay. Well then that makes it easy for me to take Giannis. I mean, Giannis is, he's both of our picks for MVP. Oh man. So number two is real difficult. Some of the candidates, Lowry, Siakam, Ibaka has been awesome this year. You could throw Middleton in there. Oof. I guess I'm going to go Siakam. Oh, Danny Green could be in there too. I mean, there's so many candidates here. This is impossible. Holy shit. I guess I'll so go Siakam. If, if you take Siakam, then I'm going to take Chris Middleton and get, yeah. you know, a, a, a guy who can get his own offensively <laughs> and can can defend capably. And since you have Kawhi, then I have Middleton, who's probably the best. So I have Middleton and Giannis to kind of go after him. I think that's the best I can do. Yeah. Well, I guess we're, and we're not even necessarily trying to make like a team here. I think we're just sort of ranking right, the players. Right, right. But, but yeah. I mean, that'd be hilarious yeah, if sure. I have all Raptors and you have all you have all Bucks. Uh, <laughs> oh man! Well, so, no, I think my next pick is going to be a rap is going to be a Raptor. So, um, yeah, actually, I probably we probably should have done a snake draft too. All right, we're out of time, but we're not out of time. I want to finish this one. This is good. Uh, 
give me Danny Green. I think he he's the guy because uh, there's a lot of other guys who are kind of more replaceable here, but Danny Green, uh, just uh, tough to replace that dude. So for me right now, then the choice is between Lowry and Serge Ibaka. And I think Ibaka just brings more value over replacement. You know, that that he, as a, as a potential two-way center, can defend, can space out the four, can be successful there. I trust him more than Brooke Lopez. And so in some ways I'm choosing that over the margin between Lowry and Bledsoe, even though maybe, I, I you know, Lowry's obviously having a better year and all those type of things i think i would rather have a because there isn't another Ibaka. yeah i mean we probably could have done this a little more artfully frankly to actually like try to build teams and you know i mean there's a lot of ways to think about this of how everyone's gonna fit together and all that stuff uh i like my team as a team yeah yeah Ibaka is a good one i you know now brooke lopez i guess i mean he's been so good this year too but uh well i think we're getting to the point here where it's where well so okay this is a good question we can kind of do it in the draft concept how do you see the margin between between Lowry and Bledsoe because I think that's kind of where yeah. we're getting where we're getting here I think Lowry is is way better I mean but you know Lowry both those guys right. could be really inconsistent um so no I mean I, I think there's an interesting point here in that the Raptors have more depth to me the Bucks have pretty good depth but I think the Bucks just have more guys with weaknesses in particular right like Ursine Ilyasova for example is a guy that I think could really really struggle in a series like this given the athleticism and the level of intensity that's that's going to be there and, and got you know a tony snell for example you know does to me it doesn't match up as well with some of the the raptors second unit guys i mean it's funny the bucks don't even have a backup point guard at this point really how is brogdon gonna fit in i think that's really interesting as well but well i mean yeah. they have brogdon and george hill yeah oh yeah I guess, that's right they do have hill now i'm sorry i forgot about that um but i i do i mean this is we talked about this a, a little bit or i talked about it on twitter that i think the raptors just have so many more answers for the Bucks' best guys, Giannis and Middleton, than the Bucks have for the Raptors' best guys, or, or best guy in particular, Kawhi Leonard. So I, I think I would definitely like the Raptors in that series, at least at this point in time. We'll see if these rosters change at all. God, I- a Bledsoe Lowry series would just be so combustible because like the both those guys can also make life hard enough on the other guy that they just implode. I feel like it could be it could be wild. Like Bledsoe, I could see Bledsoe just wrecking Lowry for a game or two. I mean, he has that capability for sure. Yeah, and I like I like Ibaka offensively against Lopez. I, I, Ibaka was outstanding in that game that the Bucks are, or I'm sorry, that the Raptors won over the weekend. You know, he, his ability to find space in the defense in pick and roll and and uh, draw Lopez away from the rim, I think is uh, is pretty solid. All right, let's get to the Wizards here. Let's do it. The Washington Wizards are 16 and 24. They are four and six since the last 15 and 60. They are 24th in net rating, negative 3.6, 17th in offense, 26 still putrid in defense. 538 projects them to win 36 games, which would be 10th in the East, though it is worth noting that 10th in the East is one win away from eighth in the East, which would of course be in the playoffs. At, and 538 gives them a four 43% chance of making the playoffs, which is actually up. I think that's up like almost 10% in a week, including that big win they had over Oklahoma City. And that leads into the question I thought was interesting from Andrew. What moves do the Wizards need to make to be a playoff team without John Wall? And so what I wanted, I wanted to make a couple assumptions and then kind of have people visualize this. So if we think it's going to take 38 wins to get in, that's the current 538 projection. That feels about right to me, somewhere in the 38, 39 range, depending on how Charlotte handles this absence of Cody Zeller. If it's 38, that 
that means the Wizards need to play at a 43 win pace the rest of the season to get there. But by the way, real real quickly, I would like to quibble with that. Uh, I mean, that is what 538 says. I my guess is it's going to actually maybe take a little bit more because teams are going to be tanking down the end. Just everybody is going to win more games. The worst teams are going to get worse. Some teams are going to fall out of it. Uh, And just generally while all of those teams individually may project for 37 38 wins the ones who do better and make it in will be on the higher end of the of their projection and then the ones who don't will be on the lower end so i think it might be 39 wins you know that that would be my my projection i mean i guess that's only one win different but just as a general proposition i i see i see your argument but the reason i disagree is because all it takes is like one injury to the teams like the heat pistons nets to have that number drop significantly because if the magic especially if they're falling out it doesn't take that much you know like it's really gonna Oof, and so it, yeah. that could weigh it down the other way the, the whole know, if, league if kemba misses yeah. a month the whole league is actually or been if, really healthy you know, this year it seems like yes yeah and and even the injuries we're seeing are, are more to like i mean like the robert covington injury could end up being really significant but you know he's not the best player on minnesota obviously so it's been more the, those flavors of injuries than the real stars going down and hopefully that continues you know hopefully that's as as, as close as we get but so let's say it's 38 or 39 so if it's 39 i think they would need to play to 44 or 45 win pace to do that and i think that's possible for the wizards the they're still a pretty deep team especially uh you know if jeff green continues playing well we'll talk about that more in a little bit and thomas bryant has been an important part of their success so far this year i would say their biggest need is a capable backup point guard sadoransky's doing fine you know kind of in that role having shifted around a couple times but they probably grunfeld might see chas and randall as the answer i'd like somebody a little bit better there obviously it'd be great if they could add depth at center but mihimi's doing pretty well you know i think he's, he's been solid so far and eventually they'll get marky forrest back though that's not for a while so i would say they don't really need to make any moves right now but they have to stay healthy because any subsequent injuries would probably kill them and so beal porter sato jeff green i think all those guys really have to stay healthy and they're on they're on kind of dan- dancing on the needle point at this at this juncture and i don't think they need to and also i don't think they should give up anything other than you know getting buyout guys or something like that yeah well they also have a negative 3.6 net rating already and that's you know 24th in the league and so they've actually kind of gotten lucky i think to be where they are um so yeah i mean i think the chances of them playing at a 43 win pace are very very low to me uh and if as far as what they need just any kind of a big man who can play any kind of defense someone who can get a rebound too i mean they're they've really struggled to, uh, to rebound um but yeah this is from uh arnie i know you wanted to talk about this one too can you explain the great year that jeff green is having jeff green is is successful this year i mean he he's doing well again but again is an important part of this i mean last year he was successful as a member of the cleveland cavaliers he green is actually has a lower per this year he has a higher true shooting but lower usage so the way that inner play works out it's a lower per for him and his minutes per game are pretty similar what i think has really helped jeff green's career is the shift from straight small forward largely as oklahoma city to three four to four and then now he's even playing in the last couple of years i think he's played about a fifth of his minutes at center and so being a 33 35 percent three-point shooter looks a lot better if you're a four or five than if you're a straight three and that's helped him a lot he's still getting to the line a ton which is great and but the concern about about the year that he's having is that this is the best Jeff Green year in terms of field goal percentage at the rim and from floater range. And when a player has both career years and both of those things, you think that it could there could be a step back coming because, you 
know, in in your 30s, you don't usually get to the rim for the best for the best success of your career. So if he takes a little bit of a step back there, that would hurt his efficiency, especially when he's also shooting 35 percent from three, which is better than his career average on the highest proportion of threes of his career. All right, we got about two minutes left here. If the Wizards were able to tank their way into a top three pick this year, could you see them coming back next year being a serious competitor in the East, provided that Wall is okay? No, because rookies almost never help their teams, even top three picks. I mean, even Zion, it's hard to, I mean, I believe in him a ton as a prospect. But given some fit issues and just having to play NBA defense, I don't know that he makes it enough of a difference to be uh, a serious competitor. I mean, to me, serious competitor is you know, top three team, a team that you realistically could see getting to the finals. And no, I, I don't see that happening under any circumstances, really. I was going to make a joke about Zion playing the four next to Dwight, and I just got too sad. So, oh, uh, yeah, you know, I guess uh, Dwight oh, uh, could be th- on the team next year. Could opt in. So, this is one we could do very quickly. What do you see Thomas Sadoransky getting in free agency over the the summer he will be restricted i you know we talked about every i mentioned avery bradley being a guy that will make more money than i expect i think sato is going to make less just for whatever reason people discount his contributions but you know solid bench player i hope he can get five six million a year i actually think he could be worth more than that i haven't really gone through like through his numbers but i think he's going to get undervalued not only because of you know the the kind of the weird role he's had but also because restricted free agents if they're not of that group that somebody falls in love with them they almost always get underpaid yeah that seems right you could see him coming back on maybe a slight raise the good news for him is that his qualifying offer will be a little bit higher since he's making three million a year so 125 percent of that so it'll be a little bit less than four million so hard to see him making less than that on an annual basis but you know something around along the lines of like three years 12 million uh, i think is where it could end up uh, unless he uh, ends up getting a, an offer sheet would a pick in the five to ten range be enough to dump john wall asked patrick hughes i don't think so it's so much money and well and that I just mean, wouldn't make the sense structure that would have to be in place it wouldn't make sense for the wizards to do i don't think i think you just you take that pick and hope that the guy turns out good and that you know, these guys can get back to being, you know, a lower le- lower level playoff team and you can build some excitement with that guy in the mix as well. Yeah. All right. I think we can call it here. Ah, as, and the clock agrees with me. That was two hours and 40 minutes of recording time. Obviously, it'll be a little bit shorter when we actually release it. But uh, yeah, glad we could bring this to you on a, a Tuesday. And we'll probably be back, I think, Thursday because we're doing the NBA cast tomorrow. So we'll be back Thursday, finish up our awards, catch up on some news, maybe talk a little bit about uh, the games uh, on Wednesday night as well. So I'll probably release that during the day on Thursday is at least the current plan. So we will talk to you all then. Have an awesome day. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.